On today's show, Howard welcomes back professional wrestler and actor John Cena. Dude, I didn't mean to put your father in prison. Why'd you put him there, you fat fuck? Because I couldn't think of anybody else. What about Ariana Grande or Drake? What, dude? John Lovitz? Shut the fuck up and listen, man. I'm giving you a list of people you could have done. Danny DeVito, Will Ferrell, Howard Stern, Baba Hooey, Robin Ophelia, Quivers. Here, listen carefully. Hey, oh. Oh. A musical version? listening to is uh, we play this song every morning by Rob Zombie but this is a mix with only the guitar the bass, uh, drums and Rob's vocals um, Rich Gibbons who works for us, he uh, produced this he took John 5 John 5 is the guitar player with Rob Zombie at the time and he took the track and he isolated it and, and then he, um, he asked Richard to put in a different drum track and that's Richard on drums, our own Richard Christie, and and that's Rob's uh, stripped-down vocal. Anyway, I, we did that because, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, John Five, the guitar player, he's going to be on Howard. <laughs> he's going to be on Howard 101. Hold on, my mic is slipping. <laughs> He's going to be on Howard 101 as our guest DJ in a brand new episode of Songs I Want to Hear. And he'll be picking up his favorite songs and playing riffs on the guitar the whole time. Tune in Friday night at 7 p.m. Eastern and Pacific on Howard 101 in the SiriusXM app. I love this guy, John Five. He's one of my favorite guitarists. Uh, Billy Gibbons from ZZ Top. We're good until the break. Billy, Billy Gibbons. Uh, you know what? I'm in Miami. It's a different studio. There's a million things that can go wrong. And, of course, my microphone isn't right. But I'm trying to be cool. Uh, I'm exhausted. I got up at 3 o'clock. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll bitch to you in a minute. 
I'll tell you why I'm miserable today. Because people should know I'm miserable. I'm here for John Cena, which I'm excited about. I'm a big John Cena fan. I love his role as Peacemaker. And I uh, really like him in Ricky Stanicki. So I'm anxious to talk to him. But, and he's driving down from Tampa. I guess he lives in Tampa. And he wanted to uh, get together in the studio. Uh, and since uh, I was in Florida, we uh, figured I'll come to Miami. But coming to Miami for me is a big mistake. Well, I hope he's not in as bad as mood, uh, bad a mood as you. Oh, I'm in the worst a longer mood. drive. <laughs> oh, oh, I don't know why. We should have just done it over <laughs> Zoom. I am a bear this morning because I went to Lily. Uh, uh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the worst. I, I know. I, I know. In light of the problems in the world, this seems minor to everyone else. But I'm old and I'm crotchety, and I have my. You know, I was young and crotchety. Now I'm really crotchety, and I just have a routine that I like to be a part of. You know, my parents were very big on routine, and I'm a product of them, and I'm into routine. And I, and when I'm taken out of my routine, I'm a mess. Like, and I'm so neurotic. Like, I'm leaving my house to come to Miami last night. I left my house at 4.30, and I was like, oh, I got to eat my dinner at 4 o'clock. And I better not drink too much water, because I'll have to pee in the car, because it takes me two and a half hours in Florida rush hour to get down to Miami. And I got to pee, and then if I have to pee, we're going to have to stop on the road, and I'm going to be uncomfortable, so I won't drink any water. And I better get all my work done before I have to leave. And then I, when I get in the car, I'll call John Hine and we'll discuss John Cena. But it's, I, I like to be in front of my computer. You know, I start and then, and then right, I'm like, even that is not as comfortable as it could be. Oh, and then I was like, I got to move my bowels oh. before we leave the house. Because <laughs> if I time this right, I don't like making a duty outside of my house. I don't want to make a duty in the hotel because I have those wipes. Yes. And I don't like using wipes. I love the Toto toilet. What it does is it spritzes water in your asshole and cleans you out. I don't have to use wads and wads of these chemical wipes to stick in my asshole. So I'm like, let me take, please, God, let me just take a dump before we leave. Because if I take a big one, I'll be completely evacuated for 24 hours. Now I'm wondering if it's worse to pray that you win a football game or no, you know what? take a dump in a certain time. Fuck people with that football. I mean, who cares who wins that? I'm talking about not having to take a shit in a hotel with wife. I knew that, you know, I was just like, I just want to move my bowels before I get in the car. And th this is why I don't want to come to Miami to do shows. People don't understand. I'm so nuts. It's my whole day. I'm like, hmm, I don't know. I don't know. Why am I not making a duty? So did you did well, you manage to? So now I'm like getting ready to come down here. And all of a sudden, like 10 minutes before I go, oh, good. I think I have to make duty. <laughs> and I can do it in my total toilet at home. Wash out my asshole. I'll get down to Miami. I'll have breakfast in the hotel. I'll eat lunch after the show on Wednesday. And I'll get right in my car and go back to my house. And I'll be duty free. <laughs> and I'll move my bowels when I get home again. I'll be right on duty schedule. Duty free for the whole time you're in right. the hotel. Be because when I'm in a hotel, I don't have my Toto toilet. Although I think my room had some sort of Toto set up. But I said, 
I bet other guests are spraying their asshole with this thing, and I don't even want to mess with that. So, but anyway, so I'm getting ready to make duty, and I said, oh, good, I have to go. And I'm, I was pushing hard, and a little thing came out, like not even a full evacuation. A pellet? A pellet. Not more than a pellet, like a size of um, a small bass. <laughs> you know what I mean? Kind of fish you throw back in the water. That's the one you don't keep, yeah. Yeah. And I'm so jealous of people like like Richard Christie, who's free from worry. You know, he never worries about where he'll shit. He'll he shit in a hole in a van. A diaper. Yeah, yeah he I mean, do it in a diaper. <laughs> and have that mess in his ass, and you know, he just is, <laughs> he's all sticky. It doesn't matter to me. It matters. I just didn't want to have to make a duty in the hotel, so I was very disappointed in this movement that happened before I got in the car to come to Miami. And I'm like, oh, I hope I fall asleep. Beth's not with me. I need someone, you know, to babysit me. I just want a good night's sleep. And I hope don't my they hotel provide room... those babysitter services at the hotel? <laughs> I don't know, but I was like, oh, and I hope my room isn't noisy. If it's noisy, I'll be tossing and turning all night and complaining to no one. I'll be complaining to the air. <laughs> anyway, so I got to my hotel last night. And uh, I was like, man, I can't believe I didn't make a duty. And then I get all grumpy, like, I don't have my usual breakfast, I can't find, I don't know where the bowls are, I don't know where, you know, everything is just not, I, I just want things to go easily before I have to work. And, and I slept pretty good, but I woke up at like 3 o'clock in the morning, so I'm like, I'm, I'm exhausted. By the time John Cena gets here, I'll be <laughs> slumped over the desk. I'm getting too old for this. You know what I mean? You know, yeah, you be... obviously, moving you around is not a, a good thing. Yeah, and then like, and then the first thing when I got here, everyone was like, uh, oh, after the show, a bunch of the executives want to say hello to you. I go, oh, <laughs> don't they know I put everything, I, I, I can't even keep my fucking mind straight after the show. Leave me alone. I, so I complain about everything. I would complain if the executives didn't want to meet with me, and then I'd complain if they do want to meet with me. <laughs> Let me alone. Let me alone. Let me. I'm a mess. Oh, so I woke up this morning, three o'clock in the morning, and I'm like, "Whoa, I think I'm up." So I read the news and got aggravated with that. All the shit that's going on in our world is really fucked up, and I don't know. I don't know. I don't even want to get into it. It's just all really a bummer. And then I um. And all of a sudden, I felt something like, I think I'm going to have a bowel movement. <laughs> and I was like, well, here we go. Better I do it here because I can't do it in the green room at Sirius because there's no way to flush those toilets. They put what? in those automatic toilet flushers oh. in my green room. Yeah. Last time when I was here for Billy Joel, I had my own green room. I'd go in and pee. And I'm like, I don't. I, and I had to get back on the air. And I'm like. I don't know how to flush this fucking toilet. And like I'm leaving like my pee in the toilet when I leave the room. I had to get back. And I and I said Do to a bunch use of the, the people. tissue? Because that's the telltale. Like there's toilet paper in there when the next person walks in. Well, no, I mean, my I it's my pee in there and it's in my private be, be, you know, oh, it's room. Private. There's uh -huh. a private room. It's a green room. You know, green room, you're in show business. Yeah, but in show business, there's 
guest green room, and yeah. I didn't know there was a private green room. No, I mean, the, the bathroom was clean, but then I peed in it, and then I leave, and I have this weird feeling. It's like, if somebody comes in here, you know. Meanwhile, I go in there before I leave after the Billy Joel interview, and I peed in my toilet, and there's no way to flush it. I walk out, Billy's waiting outside my green room. He says, hey, they said I could use your bathroom here because for some reason they built this facility in Miami and they didn't provide bathrooms for the guests. Uh. So everybody piles into my green room. And I went, oh, okay. So I know Billy went in there and saw my urine all over the, the toilet. Like you don't flush after you go. Yeah, like, like I'm an asshole. Yeah. Like I'm, a, like, I'm a, like I'm a cretin, <laughs> like I'm an animal. Like Billy don't even know saw how to my use a, an indoor toilet. <laughs> God, I was like, it was, so, I said to my wife, oh God, first of all, Billy Joel is waiting outside my dressing room to use the bathroom. That's, that's a big faux pas. Like he's standing he there waiting. Wait. Immediately he should have been taken somewhere. Yeah. And I didn't know he was waiting to use my bathroom. No one tells me. So I'm like, I'm lingering in the green room talking to my wife. She goes, oh, we should have walked out. Billy needed to use the bathroom. I go, Billy's getting for a surprise. My urine is in there. <laughs> and he's going to think I'm an animal. Like, I don't flush the toilet. Like, I just pee and, 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 let, and let the help flush. <laughs> like, I'm too lazy. Flush. I'm like, too I'm too, big to yeah, flush. <laughs> I'm, I'm famous. I, don't, I just pee and leave. People are, are joyous just to see my urine. Holy fuck. I now, was so... It, you don't know how to flush one of those automatic toilets because there is a manual way. Oh, yes, there is. I know that. And guess what, Robin, over there? Guess what? I what? checked. I checked that toilet up and down. There was no <laughs> manual way to flush it. Believe me, I stood there. I, I wasted more time in my life trying to find a flusher on this toilet. <laughs> you know, when I was a kid, if you would have told me, when I was in college listening to Billy Joel albums, if you would have told me, that one day Billy Joel be waiting outside to use my toilet and that I didn't flush. Like a cretin, like an animal, <laughs> like a monster. There's a guy, probably one of the greatest musicians ever lived. It's like if Beethoven was waiting for me to take a shit. Beethoven. Hey, is, und is he done yet with toilet? <laughs> Unbelievable. And I was like, I went to the people who built this place. I said, dudes, there's no other toilets for private use for like a Billy Joel type guest? Oh, no, we forgot. We messed up. Forgot? They forgot. They, they, there's, there's a whole compound here with no toilets for the guests. <laughs> Billy Joel like walked in and saw my pee like in the toilet. I could kill myself. And I Did said to my wife. Did you call him to try to explain? Well, we went to dinner with Billy and his wife that night for Valentine's Day. And I was like, I was going to lean in and say, hey, Billy, I know when you went in the bathroom, you probably saw some pee in there. But uh, there's there's no way to flush the toilet. You have to wait for this, you know, the for the the eye to see your the, pee. Or the something. electric eye. I had a thought that like maybe my penis is so small, the toilet didn't recognize that a human being was in there. I don't know how that works. But it wouldn't see me. Like I kept, and then I'm walking toward the toilet, and I walk away, like I'm trying to stimulate right. the electric eye. Uh, you know, I'm trying to get it interested in seeing me. 
You didn't hear it flush? Because sometimes they're on a delay. So anyway, thank God I woke up this morning. No, it, it didn't flush. It wasn't on a delay. It was broken. I... So I woke up this morning, thank God, I'm like, oh, thank you, God. At least I'm going to make my duty here in the hotel. Imagine if I have to do it at the fucking Sirius where you can't flush. Ooh. And I feel a big pile coming on. Because <laughs> don't forget, I take Metamucil and all kinds of stuff to get. And, and it hasn't worked yet from yesterday. Uh, yeah, well, and I knew something big was happening. Thank God my assistant again had baby wipes there, which, by the way, I'm against. And, hey, we interviewed a guy, Dr. Evan Goldstein. He says, do not use wipes on your asshole. And I have stopped. Exactly what I suspected. Listen to this. Is there a preferred method to wiping? Yes, it's not wiping. Oh, okay. Is it blotting? Like, what are we yeah. doing? Blotting. <laughs> I, like, I think it's blotting and pink. Well, I think a couple of things. First of all, people that are listening, you guys are going to be really upset at me. Everyone always is. Wet wipes. Yes. Mm. Oh, okay. yeah. Hell yeah. They are so terrible. Not only for the environment, but for your hole. Wait, I thought okay. we were going to praise them. No, right? no. Why, why is this? Okay, I, I'm telling you now, I think they should all be banned. They changed the microbiome of the hole. Got so it. think about it. We have good bacteria, we have bad bacteria, but they are in homeostasis, mm. right? They're yeah. in equilibrium, okay? Yeah. Right. Wet wipes fucks that in a really bad way. So I'm a huge bidet... You know, That's what I was going to say. I come from a culture of yeah, wash your ass. Yeah. Like, do you in have India, a bidet, Raj? I do. Okay, so bidet and then wipe. And then wipe, or okay. it's more the padding. By the way, I, we didn't do this interview. This is from a podcast. It's from the, uh-huh. I should give them a plug. You're doing it wrong podcast. I might have to listen to that. You might have to tune into that, huh? Yeah. Finally, a podcast you want to listen to. Yeah, they're talking, you know, how to shit because you know what? The doctor's right. You're sticking chemicals in your asshole over long term. That can't be good. And for years, I used those wipes. Yeah, I and, don't use um, wipes. Don't because I'm telling you, it fucks up your, your, you know, your bacterium in your anal area. Your microbiome. Thank you. <laughs> By the way, I realize intuitively I do a lot of stuff right. Because what I do is I, I wipe if, I, if I'm wiping and then I stand up to do the rest of my wipes. And that's what this guy, Dr. Evan Goldstein, was saying you're supposed to do. And I went, you know, finally I do stand something intuitively. Stand up and wipe? Yeah, I do that. I, I just hold one of my ass cheeks open and get in there. <laughs> Standing, I think, is actually the preferred. Okay. And I'll explain why. So let's say you're sitting, you poop. Wipe once or twice when you're seated, just okay. to make sure it's not like, you know, like terribly disgusting, right? right? But when you stand up, remember the mechanism we spoke about of the blood leaving? Yeah. It happens then. Okay. So the longer you're sitting on the bowl, uh, remember, the more blood, the more wiping, the more irritation, the body senses that. He's so right. you poop. You wipe once or twice, finish standing up. Why? The blood yeah. starts to leave. The mechanism now starts to go back to normal daily world. I've been doing that for a really long time, standing up. And I know what you're thinking. The shitting shouldn't have this much choreography. But I'm telling you, it's the way to go. In fact, I spin around three times into a cartwheel to dry everything off. I don't know if you knew that. Well, I, we missed the part about the blood. Uh, yeah, well, I didn't know I anything like, about that. Oh, 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 oh. Yeah, I, I didn't know like, anything we're about that. In the middle that. of this story, 
Well, anyway, so I made a duty this morning in the hotel, and I was glad because if I made it here, I know with that electric eye, that duty's going to be sitting in there the whole show, and I'm going to be distracted while I'm interviewing John Cena. Did you tell anybody about the electric eye missing you? No. I just was so embarrassed in front of Billy Joel. And then I, uh, because he thinks I don't flush the toilet, and he probably thinks, God, this guy's really disgusting. He left the building and didn't flush. And I was going to bring it up. about going to your home now. Yeah, I haven't heard from him since, actually. <laughs> Usually, you know, there's some conversation. But, uh, yeah, and I, uh, so I had to use wipes this morning. And I dug in there with my finger. I had to pull everything together. And you yeah, know it what? It was a big I, one, a big, messy one. Yeah, oh, my God. Oh, my God, Robin. I was going to send you a picture. <laughs> but uh yeah i don't think of me when you look at the toilet <laughs> <laughs> why you're interested <laughs> and i um i just was like standing over the bowl wiping myself going thank you god thank you for letting me move my bowels before i came into the serious building thank you because i don't know what i would do if i have to shit with that fucking electric eye that's in the building your system know. doesn't shut down on you and just not go no, my if system it's in is, a bad situation. I'm really good at shitting. My system said to me, you shit now at the hotel. Because <laughs> you know you're going to freak out if you because you're going to have to shit it serious. And then you're not going to want to and you're going to be uncomfortable the whole day. Now, my system did the absolute right thing. Thank you, system. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Oh. You know, I'm so happy that I, I can't even tell you how thrilled I am that I went. Before the show and not in the serious electric eye building. And now you won't embarrass yourself in front of John Cena as well. Yeah, because I'm sure John Cena is going to have to drive back home and he's going to want to use a bathroom before he goes. He could, he would have been staring at a big log in the fucking <laughs> toilet. And like, hey, Stern's really, you know, I was excited about this guy, but he's disgusting. Like the guy's so fucking arrogant. He just shits and then walks away like a, like a horse. <laughs> You know, I mean, John, that'll be John Cena, this, his story for the rest of his life. He'd, all of his accomplishments in the world of wrestling and film and the guy's done considerable things. He'll be like, yeah, you know, that guy, Howard Stern, I thought he was pretty cool. But like the guy just fucking shits and then walks away. I went in there to use the bathroom. I, was, I vomited. And I'll tell you, the flushing, you know, Trump does talk about this. And it's the only thing, you know, that I agree with him on. It's got the the it's gotten we the environmentalists have actually um, they they put a governor on these toilets they don't flush well so when I'm you know I felt bad I had to flush what are you going to do with these wipes in a hotel I had to flush them down the toilet I flushed one uh. each time every time I wiped and I, I I said I'm sorry to the environment those those wipes should not be in toilets but I got no choice what am I going to do leave a, a a bunch of bunch of shit in the fucking garbage pail I'm not going to do that. Oh, I just that's what had I mean. to have a plumber come yeah. and cut out a piece of the pipe because people had been flushing everything yep. and anything same in my house when they yep. were visiting. Yep. And that cost a fortune. Oh, I thought my whole yard was going to be dug up. I said, what's in there? Yeah. I said, everything. Wipes. I'm telling you, they're the, they're the, but that's why you got to well, have total toilet. not only the wipes that you use to wipe yourself, but then people were flushing the wipes you clean the yeah. toilet with. So everybody yeah, was yeah. flushing everything. 
And those wipes are much thicker than toilet paper. It's ridiculous. But with that total toilet toilet paper is supposed to go there. Yeah. uh, With the total toilet, I blast my water, uh, water right up my asshole. It gets everything out. And then I just tap. I just take one or two pieces of toilet paper, tap on my ass and I'm, I'm, I'm minty fresh. So, you know, the the point of this is. I I don't want to come to Miami. Unless like World War Three breaks out, (laughs) you know. It was a whole fucking thing. Don't ask you to come to Miami again. Is that what? Yeah, I mean, it's like, you know, and then I'm in the car for the rush hour and doing it. I mean, who the fuck? I mean, what the fuck? It's too much. But I, I was afraid in the hotel, my the, the, the flushing is so weak that my wipes and my duty wouldn't go down the bowl. Wouldn't and I was go like down. Nervous. Yeah, and I'm like, oh, God, how much do I have to tip the housekeeper? He's going to have to unclog this thing. Well, I checked the toilet flushing before I ever oh. used the hotel bathroom. I That's a good first. tip. Me too. Yeah. See yeah. what's going on. What kind of pressure we got going here? Well, I was nervous. I did that and I said, you know what? I don't even know why I bother because I'm going to shit right now anyway. <laughs> I mean, what am I going to do if it is? Want to go shit in the sink? <laughs> but you see the angst and the, the, the terror I go through when I have to leave the house? It's not worth it. My wife's talking seriously about taking me to Europe this summer. I'm petrified. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, it's really freaking me out. I'm trying. I'm like, yeah, let's go. The inside, I'm like, no, don't go. (laughs) Please, please don't take me. Please just keep me home. (laughs) Don't make me. Bad things happen. Because you don't know what kind of flush you'll get in Europe. Yeah. Damn right. There are toilets. I went on this road trip in Italy once and when we went to the it was a hole in the floor oh yeah I've had my share of that I used to go camping when I was a kid uh huh and uh, I, I shat in a lot of holes and I'll tell you what <laughs> my body shuts down when I see a hole that it does right. shut down for oh, the oh yeah oh my god when I was a kid I went to summer camp and you had to build your own latrine it was one of these summer camps that if it was for people that had no money, you know, and evidently either my parents had no money or they were just like, hey, <laughs> fuck him. I'm not going to waste money on him having fun. Let him dig latrines. They let him dig latrines for the summer <laughs> and, and lash a lean to and sleep outside and get spider bites. <laughs> He's a dick. Because, you know, when my father died, he had money. And I'm like, I had to go to a $300 summer camp. $300 for six weeks. That's where you sent me. You had fucking dough. He had money. Put me in the worst neighborhood on Long Island. And he had some dough. I can't move. First, I paid $14,000 for this house. I'm like, listen, dude. Who knew you stashed some dollars away? Oh, my God. My dad, I paid for everything. When I got on the radio, I had no money and stuff. And my dad helped me out with a credit card for gas because I had you couldn't afford gas on ninety six dollars a week. So I, you know, I, I said I'm going to pay my dad back. I was buying them cars. I remodeled their whole house. I paid for their the new home as they got older. I paid for everything. I just assumed my father had no money because he was sending me to a three hundred dollar camp. 
<laughs> and he wouldn't fix up his house. He died. I opened up the will. I'm like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> you got to be kidding me. No wonder he, he died. My mother goes, yeah, father was always smart with money. I said, no, he yeah, wasn't. he didn't spend it. He let you spend it. Yeah, I said, he was smart with money because he had sucker Howard to pay. <laughs> you know, my father used, the one bit of advice he gave me was he says, remember this phrase, sucker pays. Oh. I'm the sucker. He said that? Yeah. Oh, my God. That was his legacy to you. Remember this phrase? And I keep telling my mom, because she's talking about, yeah, father was very smart with money. I go, mom, you're wrong. He didn't save for your old age. What he had in his will wouldn't pay for one year at your fucking place you're in now. I'm paying for that. Don't say he was smart with money. I'm smart with the money. <laughs> uh, stop. Leave me alone. I was his four hundred one k. Her core beliefs. You're stop. You're you know. She's lived her life thinking these things. I called her yesterday when I was on my way down to Miami. Figured, let me you know, let me knock that off the to do list. <laughs> Hello. Oh, hey, mom. What's where you? Where are you? It's hard to hear you. I'm I'm in a car on my way to Miami. What? Can you hear me? <laughs> I hear you a little bit. Let me hold on a minute. Can you help me? I can't hear how it. It's like 10 minutes of this. What? <laughs> She's doing something. I don't know. Say something Does she now. have, uh, did, is she listening to you through a, a speaker? Speaker. She's got a setup like when Led Zeppelin played Madison Square Garden. <laughs> She's got amplifiers, speakers. I buy all this shit. What are you talking about? got a about? Marshall Tower in there. Yeah, a Marshall, a Marshall stack. <laughs> They're going to interview her at Norm's Guitar about what gear she uses. <laughs> so anyway, she goes, where are you? I'm on my way to Miami. Whoa. What are you doing there? I got work to do. And she goes, You're still working? Yeah. I go, What? <laughs> when was say, the last time you spoke to her? <laughs> last, I mean, like two days ago. <laughs> You're still working? And it's not like she's senile or, you know, she's just like, you know, she doesn't care. No one cares. I go, yeah, kind of have to since uh, I'm paying for everything. <laughs> you should retire young like your father. He had no problem with money. Uh, oh, yeah, I know. I almost jumped out a window when I saw that will. <laughs> so she go, I, I go, yeah, mama, you know, I'm still working. Oh, you must love it if you're still working. Well, you know, that's a funny thing. What? I said, I said, oh, what am I doing? Yeah, why are you trying to, to have this nuanced yeah, conversation? I was like, well, maybe I could get some comfort in my confusion <laughs> about work, and maybe I'm getting older, and maybe I'll stop. 
You know what I mean? Like, I, I, right, I, was, right. I needed a mommy right then. And I go, yeah, mom, you know, I'm getting old and I'm tired. Why? Um, you know, I, you know, it's funny you say, I don't know why I did this. It's funny you say, do you still enjoy work? I mean, well, you must if you're still doing it. <laughs> well, what? I said, well, what? <laughs> I swear to you, it's easier to talk to astronauts going to Mars than have a conversation <laughs> with my mother. And there's no nuance. Because our script is. She goes, how's Beth? You know, and then I go, Beth's great. I knew right away when I met her. She was a giver. <laughs> and I'm a giver. And it takes one to know one. Right, Mom. She's wonderful. And then after she does that, she goes, And what's with the girls? I go, Emily's great. And I tell, I give her the update on Emily. And I go, and everything has to be great. Because if I say someone has a problem, then we're fucked. Because we're off script. <laughs> she does. What's wrong with her? You know, if I, Emily has a cold. What happened to her? I'm worried. <laughs> Mom, she's fine. It's just a cold. Oh, my poor M school. What happened? Why did she get a cold? I go, Mom, it's just, you know, so I go, Emily's great. <laughs> oh, good. And what about Ashley? Oh, my God. She loves her work. I can't say, like, you know, she doesn't like it. She loves her work. Ah, oh, she does. That's wonderful. And her husband is terrific. He, he has beautiful eyes. Yes, he does have beautiful eyes. I have to agree with that. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, it's like if I say, well, Mom, you know, the reason you think you notice his eyes... He visited you for three years with a mask on. It's all you could see. But then she'd be like, what? I just say, who's wearing a mask? There's like no joking, no nuance. No. It's like that episode of The Twilight Zone where you can't upset that little kid because if he gets right. upset, he kills everyone. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I just stick to the script. And what about Deborah? How is she? Oh, Deborah's the best. She is doing great. Busy, busy, busy. Not so busy, I hope. Well, of course not. Just the right amount of busy, Mom. Right <laughs> amount of busy. <laughs> and I never bring up anyone. You know, I don't bring up the news because my mother doesn't know oh. anything what's going on. Yeah, she has, she no, has clue. no idea of day-to-day -day stuff going on in politics or anything yeah, like I'm that. Mom, everyone loves the Jews now. You should see. Oh, is that right? <laughs> yeah, they love Israel. You should see how the world's sticking up for Israel. Oh, they are? That's unusual, really. <laughs> oh, yeah. They, they understand what happened with the Holocaust, and uh, they, they get why the Jews need Israel. Oh, that's wonderful. You know, it's like you just got <laughs> to just make everything sound good. It's exhausting. Can I tell you? But... Uh,
Well, how long? Because it must be really hard in the car. Oh, my God. Well, if there's any wind or anything. Yeah. It affects the the voice, and you can't hear, and it's got to you know I got to shut all the wind. I may have to make sure all the right conditions uh, <laughs> <laughs> for the for the big phone call. Oh my god! And then and then I I made a mistake too because I because I'm ready to get off the phone and I go, well, Mom, are you eating? What? You're eating enough. I'm eating as much as I can. What are you eating? What am I eating? <laughs> You'll have to ask the aide. No, 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 no. Uh, hold on. Can you come here? Can you please? Uh, Mom, no. no. Uh, Mom, I don't care that much. Really. And then the end of the Hello? Uh, yeah. yeah uh, uh, my mother wants you to tell me what she's eating. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like now I'm having a conversation. I don't even know where my mother went. It's like. <laughs> uh, 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 I'm on my way to Miami and I'm worrying about shitting. It's it's misery. <laughs> but when I'm alone in my room and I'm just, you know, painting. You got your Toto toilet. Toto toilet. Yeah, Robin, it's too much for me, everything. <laughs> It's just, you know, I'm the most miserable person in the world trying to be positive for the most other miserable person in the world. <laughs> you know what I mean? Ah, yeah, the sun will come out tomorrow. Bet your bottom dollar that tomorrow. Ah, come what may tomorrow. Oh, my God. Yeah, you're an optimist compared to her. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm 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 act but who's making me feel better? No one. <laughs> the psychiatrist. I get forty five minutes with him. I'm like, please don't hang up. <laughs> <laughs> How much for another session? Can we do a twofer? It's Tuesday. Two for you, Tuesday. You want a, yeah, you want uh back to back forty fives? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, it's two for Tuesday with Howard's psychiatrist. Too old for this shit. Oh, so what I was saying, uh, we're doing a fabulous special. I got sidetracked with my duty and everything else. <laughs> uh, and then I then I get to the hotel and I go, I'm leaving money for the chambermaid. I don't know if people still do that, but I've been trained to do that. And then I'm like... I was there for two hours and I'm leaving like I'm, 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 I'm shelling out 40, 50 bucks, you know, because I don't want them to think I'm cheap. And right. Then I go downstairs to leave the hotel and I don't have any bags or anything, but some dude opened my car door. And I was like, uh oh, he's waiting around for a tip. Oh, I just want to get it to this Miami studio. See Robin, yap up for a little bit and then talk, talk to John Cena and go home. Well, that's the thing about traveling, tipping. Oh, my God. So I only I had a 20 on me. I had to give the guy 20 bucks for opening the door. <laughs> I know. I love when that You happened. know what I mean? You know, up, I'm out of all the small bills. There's and I'm trying. money in here. And I'm running late and I'm trying. And I'm like, I'm, you know, it's like running the gauntlet of various things just to get to the car and get it here to Miami. But I'm like, oh, I better, I better take some time here. And then I'm, sh- 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 rifling through my bag looking for a 20. 
or 10. If I had a 10, it would have been enough. But all I had was a 20. I know. I don't even know how much. If you have bags, how much is it a bag anymore? It used to be. Who the fuck knows? But I said that can't be, you know, the same as it always was. Here's a tip about traveling. Stay home. You don't have to (laughs) sit there and wonder, you know. Oh, my God. Hi, to Billy in West Virginia. What's on your mind? Howard, Billy Joel is not thinking about your pee. He, sure he is. He is not thinking about your pee. And he, he and most likely, if he saw that there's pee in that toilet, he doesn't think it's yours. He's not thinking that's your pee. No, he's he, not he thinking was, about He knows it's mine. I'm the only one using the room. You're wrong. He knows. They said this is Howard's green room. He got Elle McPherson in her prime and Christy Brinkley. He's not thinking about your pee. Uh, he was thinking about my... T- He's writing silly. a song about it now. This is the next song he's going to write. See what I mean? This is why I, I, I don't even want to bother doing the show anymore. I realize my audience is full of morons. What What is going on? This guy doesn't understand what I'm saying. It, no. Of course Howard, you noticed that. Howard, Billy Joel ain't thinking about your pee. With all due respect, sir, you don't exactly sound like someone who worries about anything. But also, how do you know what a Billy Joel would think or what he concentrates on? Right. He's a genius. That's right. Believe me, he's looking at the toilet before he pees. <laughs> uh, Mike, you're on the air in Maine. Go ahead. Good morning, Howard. Good morning, Rob. Good morning. Go ahead. Stop with your shtick. Go ahead. Howard, uh, well, I got two things if I could, but first, most No, one thing. Robin. One thing. One thing. That's it. Go. Right. Robin, uh, many, many years ago... You went and got your bras resized, and you came back and proudly proclaimed you were a 34G. We keep hearing songs about double G, double G, double G. You're a 34 single G, correct? Uh, well, that's I'm a, a good question. G now, I went up to a double G, and then I came back down. Even and with all... That on the show? Even well, She has not announced that to anyone. She's keeping that I to herself did. for you some reason. You just didn't hear it. Well, let me ask you I something. I listen to every second of this show, Howard. I don't know how I can it up to a double G and I'm back down to a G. I, I listen to every second of this show because I'm forced to. And uh, <laughs> uh, Robin, let, let's get yeah. it on the record. Okay. Uh, the history of Robin's breast. I, do t- I too remember when you announced you were 34 double G, which was phenomenal. Because yes. not only you, uh, you would to have you, it was phenomenal. It was <laughs> phenomenal to everyone because you had had breast reduction. You know what I mean, and and you were yeah. thirty four double G. Okay, your and tits they grew, grew back, back bigger than before, right? They grew, they grew, back, they grew back, back better and bigger. Surgery. Is that correct, Robin? Yeah. It was like it was like God said. I hung up on him. He's annoying you. Right. I um. All I know is, it, it, like it's like God said. You know what, Robin? No. You are going to have big tits. Your I don't care how much belong this size. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I remember the voice of God said, Your tits belong big size. <laughs> they came back with a bench. But anyway, just to clear up for the audience, you went up to double uh, G. Uh, th- yes, 34 that was G. when I got fitted, remember? Yes. I thought I, I was something, and then somebody told me about this bra shop. And right. I went to the bra shop, and they would size you. How many people in the world? Double G. Did you almost fall over? 
Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, how many people in the world are a double G natural? How many people? Zero. You're, you're probably one of five. I knew a girl in high school. Yeah. Who's now? I was a kid then, and so I wasn't wearing a. I must have been a C or something. Can't imagine. And uh, she said, "My mother is an F." Oh. What? And she has to have her bras made. I was oh, like, God. "Oh my god!" You're petrified. <laughs> when you were a C, you were probably very happy. You probably loved your C cup. I thought they were too big then, but you know, it was manageable. You could buy a, a bra in a store, a regular store. Right. You got me jerking off and beating off and spooching off and spooching on your 34 G's. I love your 34 G's. I want to shoot blows. Well, that's a double D bra. On your 34 G's, even if they're double D's, I want to shoot blows. Those are a G or an F? On your 34 G's, I love your. Anyway, let's get the, let's, let's make it clear. All right. Uh, even uh, you're in tremendous shape, you've lost weight, you're still a 34G. No. Oh, I what are you? I am a 38G. 38G? Yeah. We got to revise all these songs. Uh, 38 G's. <laughs> all right. Well, there you have it. There's the answer, Mike. Anyway, I wanted to say, you know, when I admire guitar players so much. So the reason I opened the show uh, 45 minutes ago, this was a long way to get here. With a, the guitarist Can you John, the song? yeah, it was. We opened the show. You should hear it. The, the guys, um, the guys uh, took the song by Rob Zombie and isolated guitarist John Five's uh, guitar work because uh, John Five is going to be our guest DJ on a brand new episode of Songs I Want to Know. Does anybody follow this? <laughs> I mean, well, I'm, I'm drowning in words. John Five is one of my favorite guitar players. The guy is phenomenal. So I'm happy that he's doing it. I suggest you listen to it. He played guitar for Marilyn Manson, David Lee Roth, Motley Crue, Rob Zombie. And uh, what a phenomenal talent, a phenom. So there you go. When uh, I should hear, I'll tell you what, here's what you're in for. This is the riff isolated that he was playing that day. Clean. I haven't played that in 10 years. Yeah. This guy, he's one of these guys like Billy Joel. You name a song and he can play it. And he just goes right into the riffs. And so if you listen to this, um, and, and on the app, you can see him playing guitar. If you're a guitar player or a fan of music like I am, it is a fabulous special. Because he's sitting there with his guitar, playing songs that he loves, and also demonstrating them on the guitar. Ah. At one point, uh, here, I'll play you some of this. John Five played... Uh, Riffs from ACDC, Rush, Ozzy Osbourne, 
He even played the Star Spangled Banner with his teeth like Jimi Hendrix. Hendrix totally reinvented everything with like... I remember hearing that, and I was like, oh my God, this is insane. It totally was like, wow, wow, wow. And then seeing him play with his teeth, I was like, I was a little kid. I remember I was watching it on TV. It was like cable when cable just came out. You you remember. He was playing with his teeth, and I was like, well, I know how to... And so I did this. I chipped my tooth, and my mom was so mad at me. He's got great stories. You'll love this special. He does a thing in this special where he's talking about the band Queen, and he says he learned a crazy little thing called love on the guitar. And he said, I love the bass line. So he's sitting there. He's playing all the bass and the, and the lead and everything all at once. Crazy little thing called love by Queen. Love I loved Elvis, and this song is like their Elvis type thing. Even the riff, you know. And then, easy song, it's just the chords, but then I thought, well, the bass line is so cool, and the melody is so cool, and I would learn the melody, and then I would learn the bass line, and then just put it together like that. great listen to this that's all him brian may was someone to change how the guitar would anyway the guy does a great special for us and it's all filled with that kind of stuff and uh what can i tell you but fabulous special and uh, thank you for doing that he did have advice for me, some words of wisdom, because I want to learn to play guitar, even right, at this late stage. I'll share that. How you can get to play and enjoy it is play something you love. Play riffs that you love. Like if you love um, Van Halen, uh, you can just take it's two chords or one note. Or anything that you want. Or even if it's like a Metallica song. Play what you love and sit with it in your lap watching TV. When you're with Beth, hanging out, watching TV, have it in your lap and just strum. And that you'll never put it down. That's how it was for me. You know, Leslie West used to give me the same advice. He said... Howard, just sit there with the guitar when you're watching TV and strum it. So, good advice. Anyway, check out Songs I Want to Hear with guest DJ John Five. Friday night at 7 p.m. Eastern and Pacific on Howard 101 and on the Sirius XM app. Steve, what do you want? And we know you play guitar. What do you, what do you want from me? Right I just wanted to say the special was so great because I always think of John Five as like a metal guy who shreds with the kill switch and everything. But it was so cool. He was going into like... Georgia on my mind. He's doing these like jazzy lap steel sort of like almost Tennessee tuxedo 
shredding jazz guitar stuff. So it was very cool to see how diverse of a playing style he has. Who asked you for your opinion? <laughs> That's all. I'll go. Thank you. Did, did Howard miss something? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. You think what you had to say was so important? <laughs> I mean, what the hell? No, you're absolutely right. He, he, what I am moved by with John 5 is the technical ability, the, the sound he gets. Each note is so perfect. There's no clams, as Billy Joel would say. And it's just yeah, and John it's Five and his guitar, no pedals, no effects. It's just him making these sounds with a guitar. It's uh, whatever. All right, enough. How are you? All right, pal? Doing good. Doing good. I almost contacted you for advice. I was buying an amplifier. I needed a little amplifier to, so I could plug in. But I went to Fred, and Fred gave me good advice. I bought the, what's it called, Fred? The Orange Crush or something. You know this amp, Steve? Oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. Is it like, uh, is it a combo so, amp or a stack? Yeah, it's a combo. Uh, yeah, that's this, badass. It's 20 yeah. watts and it gives you everything. It'll keep you really, really busy. And you'll sound like John 5 in no time. <laughs> Such a wise ass. <laughs> yeah, I should sound like John 5 in a week as soon as I use this amp. No, as soon John as I plug it. Yeah. No, John is an amazing guy. He was inspired by watching Buck Owens, the Buck Owens show. That's how he got into guitar playing. Wow. What do you think of my statement, boys, that Billy Gibbons is the best guitar player around today? What do you think of that? Who wants to debate me on that? Steve? Uh, one of the best, for yeah. sure. I mean, no, one of the, the best, best of all time. The, the number one? Hmm. Interesting. Why do you say that? Just the the riff. You want to know why? Every time I watch that Billy Gibbons, and I could say this about John Five too. Billy Gibbons, every note, every sound that when he's playing, watch on YouTube when he he dedicates the song to Robin. It's uh, it's unbelievable. He's just playing these notes that are so clean and crisp, and they're moving, and he's singing. It's just amazing. I don't know. Anyway, check out John 5. He's right up there with Billy. They're calling me uh, Howard Zero. That seems to be my new name when I pick up the guitar. <laughs> what is Howard Zero? Yeah, that's my uh, name, Howard Zero. <laughs> you're not a five, you're not a four. Not a five. You're a zero. Zero. Well, if he's a five, I'm a zero. Um, but thank you, uh, guys. Yes, Steve Nowicki, Fred Norris. Two big guitar mavens. What can I tell and you? And Billy is great. Which album is your he favorite is. by uh, by Billy? With uh, you mean which ZZ Top album? Which album do you like the best? Hmm. Now that's a tough question. Which album do I like the best? You know, all of them sort of blend together. I, I first got turned on to ZZ Top when I was a disc jockey at WRNW back of, right. back in the day, nineteen seventy six, and. Uh, no, I got. I like them all. I don't know that I have a favorite. I don't even know that I'm that familiar with what cuts are on one album. You know what I mean? So I don't know. Well, if I name can a song. Oh, Lagrange. Any song. T Tush. LaGrange. Well, that yeah. yeah, that's Trace Ombres. Yeah, that's and waiting for the bus. Jesus just left Chicago. Those two songs back to back are killer. All right. Thank you, Fred. You got it. Here's another question: Who's weirder, Fred or Steve Nowicki? <laughs> wow. Here you go. Now I've got to put my thinking cap on. 
Me. Fred's awesome. I bet you Fred sat in front of the TV and probably didn't even turn and it strummed. on. Yeah. yeah, just strummed. <laughs> and he's good. He is a great guitar player. What can yes, I say? Yes, he is. He's my he's my guy. Well, they didn't really have a TV back then. It's like uh, my brother was a shit student, so uh, I, I I couldn't watch TV, so I got to play guitar, which nice. was a better choice for me. How old were you when you started playing? Uh, about 15, yeah. 16. Really? Like yeah. 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 A late starter. And what yeah. inspired you? You know what? I think Paul McCartney. Okay. Mm-hmm. Nothing funny about that. Nope. Well, anyway, Fred told me to get an orange amp. So, Orange Crush. Uh, orange Crush. I bought one. I mean, I haven't gotten it yet. I sent away for it. Uh-huh. I don't know so how long it going to plug take. in? I'm going to be plugging in, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wait till you hear it. You'll see. Um, we're going to take a short break, and then I got a lot to get to. And uh, and uh, and for those of you who are fans of John Cena, I'll be talking to him. You got to watch Ricky Stenicki on Amazon Prime Video, March seventh. And uh, I want to thank our sponsor, Melinda's. Melinda, I'll never stop saying Melinda. Melinda's craft pepper sauce and condiments can be found in Walmart and other retailers. Who's telling me they're in? And I, I know Gary has Melinda's, uh, and he puts it on those wings. Someone else told me they're into Melinda's yesterday. Melinda's.com, you use code 100. Who is telling me they love Melinda's? <clears throat> M-E-L-I-N-D-A-S.com, code 100. Beautiful hot sauce and condiments. They even make a ketchup. Oh, no one's coming forward. All right. Uh, zip. Was it you, Will, who loves Melinda's? I don't know. No, around here, everyone thinks I'm speaking Chinese. I do, I do love Melinda's. I think it's well, why, awesome. Well, let me ask you something. I why wasn't the guy I, that said it, though. You I wasn't. The, ben, I heard you. Well, I, I didn't know if you'd caught that comment, but lots of people I caught. I listen to everything. I, I listen to everything you say. You said you love Melinda's, and I said, oh, I'll well, talk to you about catch. that on the air. Then I come on the air, and I go, who else said they love Melinda's? This guy's like... I don't know. Not a well, peep. Well, not a peep. Not a peep. <laughs> sitting there. Jason said he loved Melinda's. God, uh, Benji no, loved Melinda's. I, I love didn't Melinda's. talk to Benji. I talked to you. Fair enough. Next I, time no. I say, next time I say, who said to me they love Melinda's? Say, I did, Howard. I did. I love <laughs> Melinda's. Right, thank you. All right. Go back and Great do whatever eggs. it is. Great on mac and cheese. Uh, no, no, no. Go back and do whatever it is you do. Yeah, okay. I, I apologize. Right. Thank, thank you, Melinda's. You. I mean, I'm sitting here like I'm, like I'm talking in, in, into space. Like you heard, uh, you know, a voice in your head told you. <laughs> yeah, I go, hey, you know, I'm doing a commercial. I'm struggling here. <laughs> That's it. I'm done. You see that uh, wacky ruling? Uh... Which oh, by one? By the way, I just uh, peed uh, here at the Sirius XM building in Miami. And again, no way to flush. So it's just sitting in there. It's making me mental. I don't want to leave There's my no urine. There's no button. There's no button. button. Robin, I just groped that toilet like I was a um, uh, looking for the nine eleven terrorists at the airport. I ran my hands all over the pipes. Now my hands are disgusting. And trying to find a but there should be an emergency button if the electric yeah. eye is broken, and yet not here. You know, weird. Uh. It's just weird being in Miami. And, and Fafafui is here. He flew down to Miami, and John Hine is here. 
Uh, I don't does know it what give you do. Comfort when you see Papa Fui. <laughs> Not really. No, <laughs> no. I don't know what he's doing here. Actually, maybe he's here to like when when John Cena gets here, he's here to greet him. Hello, how you doing? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what he's doing. What are you doing here, Gary? <laughs> it's weird seeing Gary in person. I haven't seen him so long. You know, I, I rarely see Gary anymore, except on yeah. like Zoom. And he's here. Today he was stand like I came out of the bathroom. He was standing there. And he goes, "The guys are discussing what you're going to do next, like with some ideas that they have." And I went, "Yeah, I know." And then he goes, "Okay, Will, go ahead." And I'm like, "Who needed you to say go ahead?" <laughs> what is he a band leader? <laughs> yeah, he's like a, he's, <laughs> he's he's conducting. <laughs> Where is he? I don't know. Steve Brandano evidently came down here with Baba Bowie to Miami. I, I think the two of them are going to welcome John Cena. I don't know. I'm pretty sure John Cena is going to be They're ignored, walk annoyed. hand in hand. Yeah, yeah. Say, welcome, John. Hey, guys, you want to come in here and tell everyone what you're doing here? <laughs> I mean, I know why John is here. John Hines here because he's in charge of uh, research and stuff, we guess. And Yeah. But I... I honestly don't know what Gary. What Gary's doing? No, (laughs) all I saw was like, "Will, okay, go ahead, talk to Howard." And I was like, "Well, well, just Gary's unavailable." I don't know. It's very Very weird down here. Whatever he's doing, it's keeping him busy. Too busy, bull. (laughs) What happened? I called for you like ten minutes ago. What's going on? What's going on out there? I was in the bathroom. Where were you? The bathroom. Don't turn the microphone on for Gary. Let him just yell. <laughs> oh. I was I was in the bathroom. Oh, okay. What number the two on the other side of the no, just the pee. But it, the the bathroom's on the other side of the building. Howard. You see, you've identified what I'm talking. No, about. it's it's and by the way, I went in earlier to pee, and the bathroom that we're allowed to use is only a stall, and someone was in it. You mean it's one one toilet? Right. No no urinal. Oh my god! So I left and wow. went back like a half an hour later. And if a dude is shitting, then you got to give a little more time. Like I didn't go; I didn't wait five minutes. I waited an hour. Oh god! <clears throat> so they made a whole mistake in the design of this building in Miami. They didn't. They didn't put in enough bathrooms. Right? Aren't and what there do you sort do? of regulations about the space and how many bathrooms you should have? I don't know the answer to that, Ron, but I do know Gary is very winded from going to the bathroom. <laughs> no, so, no, at some point, somebody goes, Howard's calling for you. So I'm like, I ran. I am. No, well, it's just I'm like, why a, are you... I was just like, why are you... smelly shrimp shit. <laughs> yeah. Did you shit or piss? I, I just forget. pee. Just pee. What are you doing here? I don't mean that. I'm here, to pre- I'm here to meet the guest and to bring the guest in. I deal oh. with the PR people and I deal with the guests. Oh, okay. <clears throat> and what does Steve Brandano do? Same. We work together. <laughs> We have two guys. Yeah. I'll tell you that Boy. Steve has something to say, and then I let him talk. No, we, we really, we, we want the guests to have a great experience. So there's the guest, and there's their people, and all right, that. Right. We want we want to make sure everyone's happy. Who right, wants so to watch make- me eat chocolate? I've had no chocolate today. <laughs> so what's going to happen when John Cena gets here? What are you going to exactly do? Well, Steve will bring them in, and he, you know, d- deal with the PR people. I'll go in, and I'll just give them a little quick hello about what's going to happen, and then I'll bring them outside the door. When you call from, I'll bring them in and sit them down. And oh, nice. I didn't and realize give we them a had back rub. <laughs> I didn't realize uh, there was a whole concierge service that we provide. No, we really want people to to be Have happy a good experience, here. Yes. All right, I agree with that. Okay, can't fault you for that. I just didn't know it was a two man operation. Oh, it's two man operation, and then some assistance. 
Oh, really? Yeah, there's people to make sure that um, that they have uh, what they want to eat. Um, mm. There's people that wait for their car outside when it pulls up to bring them in. How like, come I can't get any of these services? <laughs> I don't know. No, nobody really bothers weird. with you. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm walking around trying to flush a toilet. I'm, 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 I'm there examining the toilet for... Uh, <laughs> Hey, based on what you're saying, I'm a pretty lucky dude. At least I got my own toilet. Do you have a, an automatic flusher? Oh, no, you don't have a urinal, so. Yeah, but I don't either. No, so, the, toilet's wow. the, the toilet, the shitter, is an automatic thing, but there's a button you can push. Where's that button? It's like on the top. It's not a handle. Yeah. It's like there's a black thing on top, but there's a little silver. It's almost like it's almost like an... Uh, a, I have that, but I, tr I pressed it. Nothing happened. Yeah. Hmm. I don't press it unless I, unless I push it. I felt really weird just now. I just left... My pee there. I, I don't do that. And I told you, Billy Joel then walked in after me. And I mean, it should go within thirty seconds of you leaving because it is on some sort of automation. Mm -mm. Well, hey, John. Hey, Howard. It's weird seeing John Hine in person too. He shaved his head. Like now, he's almost like he's, he's got like a cue ball on top. But you leave a little bit of hair. But I'm running out. Yeah, it's um, it's like that close shave kind of thing where but, you yeah, but, leave but you know what's stubble. weird. It's weird because I'm looking at you up close. You have a full head of hair. I see growth up there. I I do have growth, but I have growth only in certain places. Like there's uh, patches where I don't have it, and it's better where it's just like this. Apparently, Howard, you know there's a whole discussion that uh, Rasan, especially, is the one pushing this. That John should just shave the head, and John doesn't want to go there. I mean, he's just like you might as well. You've you've lost it in the places that you want. Just completely shave it. Mm. And John's gone as as low as he can go without shaving it. I can't do it. Yeah, I can't do it. I don't know. I think John's like in the you know he's trying to figure. It's a hard thing if you got like patches of bald, you can't grow your hair in. But he wants to sh demonstrate to people that he does have hair. But you know who he looks he's like got now a when he's very he strong hairline on yeah. the sides. Yeah, like there's plenty of hair on the sides and the back. There's a lot to analyze uh, on John, and really is. I'm realizing that now. It's almost like looking at a planet through the Hubble telescope. <laughs> yeah, but John well, I remember has all his pubic hair. I remember when you uh, were doing that sports TV show, they used to pepper or sprinkle in some powder on your head that made it look like you had hair. Correct. Yeah. They had these like hairs that attached to the existing hair so it looked natural, which mm -hmm. it kind of did. It did. It did because John and I went to go see Billy Joel one night and John came and met me. This is you know, 10 years ago. John met me right after. I was like, man, your hair looks good. He goes, yeah, it's all going to wash out by when I take a shower tonight. Yeah. Too bad you just can't like have those people every day come pepper your head. <laughs> I could buy the pepper and do it, but then I've got to do that every single day, and I would probably screw it up. But when I was not too long ago, yeah, I'm imagine you you screw it up and you look like Sasquatch. You know what I mean? <laughs> it, it would not look good. Yeah. Oh, what happened to John? He overdosed on spray for his head. He peppered it a little too much, and now he's got hair on his face. The best part is, if it ever rained, I was screwed because then I would my head would start dripping. <laughs> Giuliani, yeah. exactly, and it was like so. If it, I had immediately like uh, you find an umbrella or, or duck in someplace, <laughs> if it, it was it was a nightmare. Yeah. But when I was younger, I had hair like yours, thick, lush, and I just ne I was like, if I ever get to this point, I'm not going to get plugs. I'm not going to fake it. I'll just deal with it. But now right. I'm in that in between stage where I'm too scared to shave it all off because I like having my hair. Well, but uh, I don't got have enough a lot hair. Left. You could have done the hair plug thing and filled in a little bit. I don't know. I, know. I just think nobody does that well. You like, know what? Who gives a fuck, really? You're getting laid. You're fucking your wife. It's not like you're on the prowl. You know. You know. It's one thing if you're out there. She seems fairly satisfied with you.
And, fairly. Uh, fairly. <laughs> I mean, no, she doesn't seem exuberant. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, she doesn't look like she's jumping for joy, but <laughs> you know what I mean? She's still with me after 33 years, so I mean, yeah. there must be some reason. That ain't yeah. my hair, I'll tell you that. There you go. Well, all right, pals. Good to see you, boys. Good to see person. you. I mean, uh, yeah, there's an explanation. Fafa Fohai and uh, John Hai. Yeah, I couldn't find Gary. I didn't know where I was looking for you to try to get you in here, but now I know he was in the bathroom. He was in the bathroom. Waiting. I was peeing I was in a wastebasket. <clears throat> I was seven blocks away taking a leak. <laughs> it really is literally seven blocks away. But see, that's uh, what I'm saying. A building that big, it's supposed to be regulated that you have a certain amount of toilets. Yeah, it is kind of nice to be out among people, actually, because, you know, nowadays I'm pretty isolated. So, you know, here in Miami, it is somewhat enjoyable. It's just a real hassle to get here. And it's also quite expensive. Hotels and everything else. It's like, it's oh, a yeah. lot. It's Miami. Yeah. It's always booked. Miami's unbelievable. I took a walk down uh, Collins Avenue, which is where my grandpa used to live. Mm-hmm. Who I thought was like a really good guy until my mom explained to me he's not. Once, you know, <laughs> once she got old, she finally spilled the beans and say my grandpa was like a terrorist, like, like, just like a really tough guy, you know. And, uh, I said, so mom, why'd you lie to me all these years about grandpa? She goes, well, I wanted you to have a good relationship with him. I go, yeah, but why'd you even want that? If grandpa was a scumbag. Well, she didn't care about scumbag rubbing off on you. <laughs> oh, it rubbed off. Cause, cause a lot, she tells me what a scumbag my grandfather was, and then she'll tell me in the same breath. She goes, yeah, just like your grandfather. <laughs> Sometimes I look at you, and I think I'm seeing my father. And I'm oh, like, dear. oh, you mean the guy who was a scumbag? <laughs> okay. That's great, Bob. Thank you. I come from such a long line of scumbags. It's unfucking believable. I have a grandfather, a great grandfather, I think. According to my mom, like now she's spilling the beans. Oh. Like now, yeah, like now I'm finding out everything. Everything was like perfect when I was little, you know. She yeah, didn't want now me to you're hear really it. hearing about your lineage, where you come from. Oh my God. Like all of a sudden, yeah. My, your grandfather threw us out of the house when we were nine years old and sent yeah. us away. He tried to throw us in an orphanage, but he couldn't get us in, so he pawned us off on relatives. I go, sweet grandpa? Yeah, he wasn't so sweet. The other day she said, I said, hey, tell me again about grandpa. She don't bring it up. <laughs> oh my god I was like, oh yeah my family tree is filled with shitheads it was crazy i told you i got, I got a great-grandfather he was living in germany and then like the um you know the whole nazi thing was happening so he says to the family listen says to his wife stay here stay here with the kids i'll get to america let me make some dough because you know there's got to be some opportunities there and I'll send for you, and we'll get you over to America, and we'll get rid of these whole Nazis, so, you know, we'll get them out of our lives. So he gets here, meets a chick, hooks up with her, starts a whole new family, and didn't bring anybody over. Never thought about the Never. family back at home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, mom, tell me more. <laughs> you know how like ability in that family. I go, well, what happened to his family in Germany? Oh, the Nazis killed them all. <laughs> oh, okay. Gotcha. 
<laughs> At least they didn't have to live with the shame of being abandoned. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure they, they had a great story to tell the prison guards at the camp. <laughs> oh my God! I was like, no kidding. So uh, I come from a long line, evidently, of scumbags. I didn't know it, but. <laughs> I guess is that I broke what Stern the... means in German or something? No, no. This is on the other side of the family. The Sterns, oh, okay. uh, they were they were pretty good. The Sterns were oh, good, okay. but but my mother would say to me every day, "You're not a Stern, you're a Schiffman." Oh, I go. Uh, what does that mean? You're not like them, and like my family. Oh, they do shtick, and you full of shtick. <laughs> So, like uh, I said to my mom, is it bad to be a Stern? You're not a Stern. So, I don't even, I, I, I walked around thinking, hmm, I think I'm, I think that's good. But now the more I think about it, it might not be so yeah. good. Yeah. 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 But, I love uh, those, those shows now where people go back and look at the history and somehow they don't tell the stories of, I guess people show up there and, and find out really terrible things. They never no. air those. Everybody, no. uh, they talk about had, you know, some royalty in their family. Oh yeah. I interview musicians. They go, yeah, my father was a orchestra leader. My mother yeah. was a musician. My grandfather was, uh, a musician. Oh yeah. What was your family? Oh, um, mm, well, let's just say one abandoned his family in Germany and the other one threw his family out of the house when uh, his wife died. Oh, fabulous. Tell us more. Yeah. I tell you, I walk out of the, some of those family um, remembrance meetings and uh, <laughs> I'm shaking. <laughs> I'm like, what the fuck? Anyway, I, what I was going to say is, did you hear, you know, Alabama is like, they don't even get the concept of the country. I hate to say it about my fellow Americans, but the Alabama Supreme Court, if you can imagine there's an Alabama Supreme Court. Who's I, on that? <laughs> I don't know. We got to get we got to look into this because they just ruled that these frozen embryos are people, not even like, right. like they're people and they have full rights. And All when they the asked them, how'd you come to this conclusion? They said, well, it says it in the Bible. They started quoting they the Bible. frozen embryos in the Bible? When the dudes on the Supreme Court start quoting the Bible in their decisions, you know the whole concept of the country is completely gone. Yeah. Separation, church, the state, the whole thing. It's just like out the window. It's like, what? Well, just imagine you're somebody, because apparently the, the case was based on um, an accident. This yeah. family, this couple had frozen embryos at this company that's supposed to keep them safe for you. And yeah. they were dropped and destroyed. And they <laughs> were, they, um, were charging wrongful death. Yeah, murder. Yeah. And so the judge went right along with them and said, yeah. yes, that was a death because those were people. Yeah, we're going to have to stone those people to death. Right. But yeah. what happens now? And so they've told you, women, that they're in charge of your uterus. They're in charge of all reproduction for you. Yeah. And so if you have some frozen embry, em, embryos, 
they may one day make you. Oh, they'll force have the you to baby. have them. Yeah, yeah. That's what they're talking about. You know, I look. I'm not running for president, but I think I could get elected just saying. We're going to, when I become president, we're going to make Alabama part of Mexico. It's no longer going to be in the U.S. We won't <laughs> no, have to Mexicans pay for them. don't want Alabama when they hear yeah, decisions uh, like that. You don't think Mexico will take Alabama? <laughs> no. Do you know the Alabama Supreme Court has nine justices, but only four teeth between all nine? <laughs> yeah, I was in Alabama once and I flushed a used condom down the toilet and I got um, arrested. They said yeah. that's a baby in there. That's right. Yeah. You just flushed a baby down the toilet. Yeah. It's like the Taliban was on the Supreme Supreme Court. Did they go to law school? Hey. Did they know the concept? Um, the Bible verse the Alabama Supreme Court is citing, quote, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. Jeremiah 1.5 1, 1. or 1, whatever that two dot thing is. One five. <laughs> One, two dots, five. I forget. <laughs> yeah, me too. Hyphen. That's not a hyphen. It's something like a hyphen. <laughs> Jeremiah. I mean, what Colon. I think, like, You can't quote the Bible in a Supreme Court decision. The Bible was written by a dude. And a dude who wasn't around when there were frozen embryos. He yeah. didn't uh, know about that technology. Listen to this. Director Sam Mendez, who's like evidently like a real important director because he did uh, American Beauty and Skyfall. Like yes, those were, I remember American Beauty. He's a great director. Yeah. Anyway, he's, did you hear this? He's making four separate films about the four members of the Beatles. Each film will yeah. be from the Beatles' point of view. All four, all four films will be released in 2027. I can't wait for that. that Me neither. That like so amazing. And you can compare the films you know because they'll be talking about the same incidents but from their point of view so in other words it'll be the beatles interviewed separately i well, don't even know I what don't it is no if it's a you know like a, a acted movie oh an acted or if movie, it's yeah. a documentary but he said oh, it's four independent films from each of their points of view i love it so in other words like you might see an actor playing John Lennon, and you see him growing up, and then he meets Paul, George, and Ringo. Right. Oh, wow. But a story about that. I think that's really cool, but remember that guy we worked with? It's never been done before, yeah. Remember the guy we worked with? The dish, he, well, he, at the time, he used to work our dump button, but it was Andre, you know, good guy, Andre yeah, Gardner. Yeah, yeah. He's a DJ down in Philly, and he's a big Beatles guy, and he's against it. He doesn't like Gary, do I, I don't want to put words in Andre's mouth, but the, why is he against the Beatles movie? <laughs> I'm I'm excited about it. He should be excited about it. He There's doesn't even little... know what's being done. How could he object? Gary was telling me Andre's against it, but maybe Gary's got it wrong. Sometimes, <clears throat> what, what, what do you hear? <clears throat> he has a public Facebook page. Yeah, go which ahead. I, which I follow him on. So I, mean, I follow him on Facebook, too. So he's always talking about Beatles stuff. So I, I don't have the exact words, but it was basically the words were like, hey, we just got three amazing documentaries. I don't know why we need this. Well, what is he? Well, 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 you can't get enough. I mean, why not? Why not have this? I think probably my guess would be like he likes to know what actually happened instead of speculation. Well, that's I mean, it's going to be based but on I'm guessing. Fact. Really? 
gee, I'm a little shocked. I was kind of excited about it. Well, it well, doesn't he, mean you have to not be excited because Andre objects. Well, Andre's a Beatles expert. If he's not excited, we can't be excited. <laughs> but, but it's funny, like you complained. I, this is what I thought you would say. You complained that that, that you, you liked it, but that documentary was seven hours. I loved so, it. So you're going to watch eight hours? Yeah. Okay. What else do I got to do? <laughs> I, I wish every movie had the Beatles. I would. I wish uh, the new movie uh, Ricky Stenicki had the Beatles in it. <laughs> Uh, these Beatles films are planned for release in 2027. What year is this? 2024. 2024. Let me do, I'll do the math for you if you'd like. Okay. All right. 25, 26. I'll, hold on. 27. <laughs> so in three years, we'll have these movies. Yeah. Now, are they, are they all coming out at once or are they staggered? I just no, learned they're coming this. out at once. Wow. All right. So weird seeing Gary in person. Why? I don't know. It's it's, it's just staggering. I mean, over Zoom, your your features are softened. I don't know. It's very severe here. <laughs> nah, it's good seeing you. I don't want. I don't want. I, listen, I appreciate seeing you. You, I were, do you, too. you were in a good mood this morning until I heard about your shitting and stuff. Yeah, I really wasn't in a good mood. I don't really like coming to Miami, but I'm anxious to talk to John Cena. Gary's really great. You know what? Look at me. Look at the back of my head, Gary, up close. You can see gray in my hair now. But I'm a lot older. Really? Walk behind me. Yeah. What's the matter? How are you going to look at the back of my head if you're in front of me? Yeah. See? I got a lot of gray. So you're hiding the gray in the back. Yeah, I'm not allowing it to come forward. <laughs> How come it's not in the front? How come? Because I don't want it in the front. I'm, that's what people see. I know. I want to look young. I, like, I have to tell you, when I go to get my hair cut, and I sit in the chair and they put that thing on you. It's not all that comes off is white. It's just all white yeah, now, yeah. which is at the ends. And it's like, it's like kind of startling. But the woman that cuts my hair, she's like, listen, man, you got a full head of hair. Be grateful. Yeah, you should be grateful. Do you have full gray pubes? No. Yeah, I don't either. I don't think I have any. I got a few. But I pluck those fuckers right out. I don't Do want you? my woman. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want my woman seeing gray pubes. She'll be completely turned off. She's turned off enough. All right. It's Baba Buhai. Look at him with the gray hair. Silver fox. <clears throat> wow. Boy, seeing Gary. You seem shaking. <clears throat> I'm so glad we're back in person, boss. <clears throat> My boss is back in town. My boss is back in town. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm a big Fleming. My boss is back in town. My boss is back in <clears> town. <throat> It's all real phlegm. No overdubbing. I uh, just want to make that clear. Wow. Um, let me just, uh, since you bothered to write us, I will read some of this. Um, first of all, uh, Jimmy Jam recently hosted an episode of Songs I Want to Hear, which is our new feature on Howard 101. And Jimmy is a listener of the show. 
He sent this email to Baba Boohi over the weekend after hearing a replay on Monday. Listen to this, Robin. This is going to shock you. It shocked the fuck out of me. This is okay. Jimmy Jam, the famous, you know, music producer, everything. Happy President's Day. I just heard Howard sing the Green Acres theme, and it reminded me of something I was meaning to say, but not sure if I ever did. Howard has great pitch. A lot of folks don't. Even singers who are good. I'm not sure if he's aware of it. I noticed it years ago, but it just hit me today because he was goofing on a song, but in perfect pitch. Listen ah. to this. Yeah, who knew? You're ah. shocked. I'm shocked. Everybody's Every, shocked. <laughs> here I am singing the Green Acres theme, and evidently yeah. Jimmy Jam is recognizing something of a talent in me. Green Acres is a place to be. What about this? <laughs> Gay farming is the thing for me. Milking them cows and jacking dudes off. Gay farming is the thing I like. Give me a butthole and I'll go to town on you. All right. Has something wow. happened to Jimmy Jam's uh, hearing? <laughs> <laughs> pitch perfect. What does it mean, perfect pitch? In other words... It means you're on the note. Wow. Yeah, I had a feeling I had talent, but I didn't know what it was. <laughs> I needed him to tell me what's going on. Jeez, that was a shocking email. Fun living is a place for me. <laughs> Next time, oh, da -da 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 -da. green air. Da -da 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 -da. E -e -e -e. Oh, oh, all right, turn this off. <laughs> Fred, you know pitch. this stuff. Did you ever notice that Howard had perfect pitch? No, I did not. <laughs> <laughs> you now, those words never left my lips. <laughs> Here's the definition of perfect pitch. The ability to recognize the pitch of a note or produce any given note. A sense of absolute pitch. That's uh, Jimmy Jam on the note. Yeah, no offense to Fred, but he ain't no Jimmy Jam. <laughs> this is true. Yeah. But um, he's right. You were in pitch on that particular uh, endeavor. Fine. You were a little off, but only because I was playing the track. And over uh, this uh, setup we have, you're going to be a little bit uh, different. So right. I know what Robin was hearing, and she was hearing like either a lag or a rhythmic thing. But that's right. not because of Howard. It's because of the technology we have. I see. I don't see. I zoned out after the first word. I don't know what he said. <laughs> Jeff uh, in Mississippi, you're on the air. I was defending you. Okay. Good morning, Howard. Hey, now. <laughs> do you really follow Fred when he talks, Robin? I, I do yes, not. I do. I, you do? I don't Most know what he times, said. you know, it all depends. I'm out after the first couple of words. Especially when he's talking about music, I can follow. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I just don't know what he's saying. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. Even when he defends me, I don't know what he's saying. Uh, Jeff, go ahead. Come on. Uh, Fred. Fred's hogging the whole show. Go ahead. You're, you have the mic. So uh, you were talking about that uh, Supreme Court decision in Alabama. And ironically, I'm here in Mississippi. My wife and I are going through the IVF journey uh, over in Alabama in Mobile. And we've gone through, you know, the processes of the tests and, you know, everything else that we needed to do. 
and we're literally just about to start egg retrieval and everything else. I've got to give all my sperm and all this stuff. And with that decision, within 24 hours, the clinic that we were going to decided to hold all processes. Yep, that's what's happening. Doctors are afraid they're going to be put in jail. They don't understand the laws. This is so fucked up. Couples just want to, you know, couples who really want to have a baby and they're using IVF, which is in vitro fertilization. Right. They rely on this process. Doctors are like, hey, I just went through eight years of medical school. You know, I I don't want to. I didn't go to law school. Yeah, I, I yeah I can't deal with this. But hey, I'll, I I believe, and I uh, hate to say this, Jeff, but all the good doctors, any of them with brains, come on down to New York, go out to okay. L.A., enjoy charging lots of money and being free of all the nonsense, and then let's see how these guys do. Let's see how the Alabama Supreme Court can offer medical care. Fuckers, you're absolutely right because. Yep. Now we're having to look at going to a different location. And I've already oh, said yeah. places like New York and everything. Oh, my dad's up in New Jersey. And I said, there are great places up there that we can go to. Yeah, we got to start the whole process. I'll tell you, uh, Jeff. It, Jeff, I, mean, I hate it. I'll let you in on a secret. I know a lot of dudes in the medical community. And what they say to me in private is this. If you get sick, you get your ass to New York or Los Angeles, you know. There's a couple other places in Pennsylvania, There's uh, places in, in Chicago, Boston, in Boston, Chicago. you know, the, the the normal cities. Go there because your chances, you're going to get fucked over in these other places. Yeah. You know, think about Alabama, a Bible quoting local official telling someone who went to 14 years of medical school, top of his class, what to do is maddening. It's insanity. If I was a doctor, I wouldn't set foot there. I'd say, fuck In my this. field of work, Howard, if I had known how bad it was down here, I would have stayed up in New Jersey where I was in the first place. Yeah. But it didn't work out that way, you know, because life was just better. Down here, it sucks. It's horrible. Well, it sure sucks if you get sick. I'll tell you that. It's insanity <laughs> yeah. what's going on in our country. All right. Thanks, Jeff. Good luck with Thanks, the IVF Howard. and... Come on back to you know where later. I'm not being a snob. I've worked all over this country. I love the people of this country. Oh, some of them anyway. The ones with half a brain. But when you're trapped in uh, hillbilly land with a bunch of uh, people who are, you know, quoting the Bible on the Supreme Court, you're fucked. That's it. Good luck. We uh, think them embryos is children. Okay. I'm a doctor. I ain't doing this then. Because you're going to throw me in jail for murder. Yeah, how can you leave those children in a test tube or a Petri dish? You better get to getting pregnant again, lady, because you need to bring that child to life. See what else I can read you here. Um, Oh, people's heads were uh, exploding and spinning after hearing Wolfie's clips from the meetup. This was uh, yesterday's show, an event for men who modify their genitals with silicone and saline injections. It's wild. I could have lived my whole life without knowing that was happening. (laughs) Well, uh, some fans disagree. Wolfie is great, Howard. (laughs) After you retire, he could get a job as a correspondent for 60 minutes. Yeah, like a pervy 60 minutes. (laughs) He knows all the right questions to ask. 
Why does Wolfie do this to himself? He actually volunteers to attend these nasty conventions. He's either the most selfless person in the world or is secretly a closet freak who gets off on all the sick shit. Uh, I think it's the the latter, not the former. (laughs) Um... That guy with half a liter of silicone in his nutsack had a pretty decent announcer's voice, Howard. Maybe injecting, maybe injecting your balls with silicone early on would have fast-tracked your radio career. Yeah, I don't think it had anything to do with it. Howard, oddly enough, Wolfie's segments are the most educational part of the show. I did not know you could pump up your junk with silicone. Oh, I, I still wouldn't do it. Howard, I don't need a thermosized. We're making this possible. Like more people are going to be. I hope not. I I would hope it turns you off. Howard, I don't need a thermosized penis, but I would consider a tasteful injection to chub me up a few inches. I hear him. But now your, your junk feels like a balloon with water in it. Yeah. That's the uh, downside. Well, here's a bonus clip from Wolfie's time at the meetup. Okay, I love a bonus clip. He spoke to one guy there who revealed that having gigantic balls can sometimes be, well, let's say, inconvenient. What's a common activity that's a little bit more difficult to do when you have a huge package? There is absolutely no way that you can comfortably jog, fast walk, run, anything like that where there's a chance that this may shift around at any degree. Uh, even with a tight jock strap or compression shorts. Uh, and there are guys who do enjoy doing it, but they're kind of masochists anyway. Have you ever had an embarrassing situation with civilians due to your modified penis and balls? Absolutely. Uh, it's basically a known fact among silicone guys in particular that if you happen to go through TSA and they make you go through the back scatter device, which is the body scanner, you will end up with a huge yellow dot over your junk on the screen that everybody walking by can see. And they have to call the mail assist to come over and basically run his hands over your junk to figure out what's going on. Yeah, Wolfie said this guy's penis and balls look like a Nerf football stuffed into his underwear. It was crazy. And, uh, you know, one thing I will say, I, I've never really felt good about the size of my penis, but I'll tell you this. Jogging is never a problem uh, with that thing I got. I don't even know it's there half the time. Not inconvenient at all. To the point that you can't run. Yeah, well, it's like having a small amplifier instead of a Marshall stack. You know, (laughs) it's easy to carry around and very convenient. Oh, the audience loves uh, Richard. Everyone agrees Richard Christie's uh, an audience favorite, but they're really grossed out after hearing about Richard eating his own booger, and I can barely think about it. That was so vile, Howard. More Benji and less Richard after that booger segment. Wow. Howard, I want to throw up. Richard is a disgusting human. Human? Uh, congrats, Richard. It's been a while since the show made me ill. I vomited in my mouth. Just a little bit at your story. I'm so disgusted by Richard. How could anyone be married to him? He has no concept of hygiene on any level. How has human resources not pulled him aside? I'm not sure they haven't. Howard, I almost threw up from Richard's booger story. It's actually gagging. I mean, please, no more of that. Howard, Richard was gross today. I can't believe this guy is raising kids. Uh, if you want to have some fun, we took some drops of me describing Richard's booger story to you, Robin, and called an Urban View Internet radio show using uh-huh. clips of me. So I was working and I didn't even know it. Here I am doing a phony phone call called I Ate My Bugger. 
Uh, I see a hand up. I'm going to go to the hand. Yeah. Come on, man. Say, say who you is so I can keep moving, man. I picked my nose while driving to the train today. I had nowhere to put the booger, so I ate it. Hey. Literally? Hey. Yes. It was very gross, but I just washed it down with coffee. TMI yeah. this morning. TMI. Too much information this morning. TMI. Lord, have mercy. Come on now. We know better. You do better, man. With great comfort, responsibility. Come on now. First burger I've eaten in 44 years, and I wasn't missing much. Man. From now on, your name is known as Booger. <laughs> booger, man. Come here, Booger. Sugar. Call it Sugar Booger. I didn't need to know that yeah, information no. about the yeah, book. No. Some things you, you keep to yourself. Isn't that great? I sound like I'm reading a hostage letter. <laughs> but uh, that grossed out that show. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We waste nothing on this show. If I read something disgusting, we then call and make a phony phone call with it. you got to be impressed. Steve Nowicki was telling me that, uh, you know, Steve, Richard, and Sal share an office. And he informed me that after the segment, Richard was eating chicken sticks for lunch and was pulling chunks of the meat out with his, but like out of his teeth afterwards. And, and then he ate the chunks he pulled out that had been stuck in his teeth for a while. Oh. Instead of and like you throwing guys them are away. worried about thank you notes. We need to teach Richard everything. Steve left the room gagging like he had to leave the room. Like Richard was pulling chunks of food out of his teeth and eating. I mean, it must have been horrible. That's well, a second was, meal. Instead of having to go back for more, he has it right in his teeth. My desk faces the other way, so I started smelling. I, it smelled good. It smelled like grilled chicken, like I thought he brought lunch in. And I turn around, and he's ripping it out of his teeth. And they're so, like, goopy and gross, and he's swallowing it. And, like, I've been in there when he shits himself and, like, when he farts and it's gross. And yeah, even that doesn't know. gross me out. But I, I, I had to leave. That's why terrible. Is, why is it that some people in our organization are living, working in a barn? Because I don't know. That's what it's like to be with Richard. He's like a pig. Yeah, he's a he's a pig. <laughs> <laughs> You're a pig. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really, are, really my ass off. <laughs> I know you love it. You love it. Oh, hey, I, I, I love John, Steve. Uh, John, Cena's, John Cena is going to be here soon. So let me just say, people love okay. this segment, Robin, and they were impressed with you. Would they break the news? Um, Robin's performance getting kudos. That that was laugh out loud fu uh, funny, uh, Howard. From the theme song to the game, it was phenomenal. As always, Robin is an absolute genius when it comes to these games. Knowing that a radio host <laughs> would bring up someone's wife's vaginosis is impressive. She really earned that vinyl AGT banner. And yes, yes. Uh, and then people were relieved and amazed that Lenny Dykstra is still kicking after his mini stroke. Even from a yeah. hospital bed, Lenny is so entertaining, Howard. He's a maniac, but an entertaining one. Robin's love revived her man from a coma like a perverted sleeping beauty. Unbelievable story yesterday. I hope you didn't miss that. Lenny Dykstra was on his deathbed and they whispered Robin is sending her regards. And he, he perked up a half hour later. He was fine. Amazing story. She's such a hero. Uh, Lenny has lived a life that would kill any mortal, mortal man. Unbelievable how his body can withstand that kind of abuse. Nails never fails. Howard, did Lenny say he's going to be going at it harder than before? How is that even possible? I mean, uh, Mamet reminded me of a clip we had when Lenny was in uh, L.A. and we had him on the show. We put him up in a hotel and 
outside the door, Mehmet started taping Lenny throwing up in his hotel room. I mean, I thought he was, I thought he was dying in the hotel. Listen, you still feeling pretty sick? That doesn't sound good. I mean, it's unbelievable. I mean, he's going to go harder. He's going to go harder than that? Yeah. And we said, why are you throwing up? He says, I, I took too many uh, dick pills from the gas station. Whatever yeah, the fuck was going on there. Pills. Yeah. The, the gas station dick pills. Finally, the Ronnie controversy uh, still is shaking people up. We were debating whether thank you notes should be written, handwritten, and... Uh, all those emailers are wrong for defending Ronnie, this guy writes. Imagine thinking it's cool not to thank a guest personally. Uh, look, uh, and then some other people say, uh, my jaw got so tight with anger when I heard those comments about Ronnie's thank you cards. After all the work Stephanie did to make sure each and every guest was looked after, I was so pissed. The staff is way off base. Anyway, uh, remember Ronnie got so mad. He said, anybody who didn't like it, uh, I'll return your gift with interest. So Mike Trainer mentioned yesterday he tried to prank call Ronnie by asking for his wedding gift back. But uh, but he bailed on the call because Ronnie sounded so upset. And he was right. He, here's the call. Ronnie was just so depressed. Really? That, You're going to let us hear this? Yeah, I will. Here it is. Look. Hey, Ronnie, what's up? It's Mike. Sorry about that. What's going on? What's going on? How you doing? Good. Good. I, look, I things got crazy this week with the stupid thank you cards. I thought, I, by the way, I thought there was like nothing wrong with it i get cards like that all the time from weddings people are being dumb uh, whatever i ain't gonna worry about it dude believe me uh, <laughs> oh that's that's good i thought i felt you know more for her than for me you know i'm used to taking that shit from people there but uh you know she was you know kind of upset because she busted her ass putting that whole thing together so you know uh, yeah i can imagine yeah my wife planned the whole thing for me or us too i like just showed up <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. Yeah. Um, hey, you know, I was thinking about what you said on the air too about like um, if anyone needed their gift back and or wanted their gift back, and I feel like bad doing it, but you know, I got like some personal stuff going on, and I was wondering if that was something that you would actually be willing uh, to do. Yeah, fine, no problem. Oh God, that's such. <sighs> okay, thank you, man. And I, this is not for air, you know. I just it it. It, it was, you know, a big expense of time, and I just wanted to say, if, if it's all right, if, if we're cool, I just, you know, like, if there, if you think, like, if an interest would be, would make sense, if there was, like, an interest payment on top of that, would that be, would that be okay? What do you mean? Well, you know, like, like 10% interest of, of, of the money, uh, if, if that could go back to me as well, do you think that's something that would make sense or no? No, it doesn't make sense to me. Oh. All right, all right. Um, but, you know, if that's what you want, fine. No problem. Uh, oh, okay. And, you know, you know, and if, if it comes up on the air, we could say that, like, you know, oh, Dude, I... Dude, you put me in a really bad fucking time right now. You know, it's just, uh, I, I can't deal with this right now. Okay. All right. I'm, I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry to hear that. Um, all right. We're, we're, we're yeah, still good, though, uh, right? Yeah, no problem. I got the list, and I'll figure it out, and I'll send it back to you. Don't worry about it. Thanks. Right. Thanks, buddy. All right, thanks. Bye. Bye. Mike's right. That's a depressing phone call, man. <sighs> Ronnie just uh, sounds defeated. It's like it's like pranking a kid with cancer or something. I mean, uh, <laughs> some prank call. 
I would have yeah, bailed after. There was after. no fun in that one at all. I would have bailed after Ronnie said hello because he sounded like a hello. I know. He was already depressed when he picked up the phone. <laughs> hey, not every phony phone call works out. Oh, my God. That was horrible. <laughs> it was terrible. I felt genuinely like sick to my stomach. I went back <laughs> yeah. to my desk and was like, I had to do other stuff with my day. And I'm like, I don't think I can work anymore. This is fucked wow. up. <laughs> I think if Ronnie would have seen right through that, but he didn't. He was uh, He was all in. Mm. Yeah, I, I played it from a man. And he's like, I, I like the, your your performance in there. It's like it's kind of like when Tom Cruise climbs a skyscraper in a movie and acts scared. Like I'm yeah. acting like I'm uncomfortable there because I genuinely am. <laughs> well, I got to get to John Cena, but Ronnie, that was uh, Ronnie. You sounded real. You sounded real. <laughs> What's that? I said you sounded real. You know what I mean? Oh, I was like, real. Believe me, I, was, yeah, yeah. I had something going on. I, I, oh, did you? At that point. And, yeah, yeah. And then Mike yeah. and then Mike called you like, and you're like, the fuck, man? I can't deal with this right now. <laughs> no, I, I couldn't fucking deal with it. Uh, I, at that point, <laughs> I would have gave him whatever he wanted. All right. You know what? You didn't I'll give pay the you. interest. <laughs> he did. No, he gave the interest. He said he'll Did I get the interest? Oh, great. Yeah, at the end, I, I, I wound up giving him interest, yeah. <laughs> right. Oh, we no. should have kept going. Based on whatever, the gift, Ronnie, I think the interest was five cents. So whatever, whatever really he wanted, nothing. you know, at that point, you know, I was dealing with some wow. medical issues. So, oh, you have a medical issue? I had, yeah. Oh, everything okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh oh, so, uh oh, I didn't like that answer. I mean, I, you know, I don't you want to put you on the spot. Had a medical issue? Yeah, I, I was. Yeah, I had something going on. You're all right, though. Yeah, hopefully. Uh -oh. Hopefully, it's hopefully it's fixed. Uh -oh. Uh -oh. But at, at that point, at that point, I was in a little bit of pain. Let's put it that way. But uh, was this my fault? <laughs> no. Not, well, not you didn't help it. Let's put it that way. You yeah, you definitely. Didn't help. Yeah, you all fucking right. ruined his health. I'm telling you, Mike. It's your fault, okay. Ronnie. I don't want to ask. I'm not going to pry. Obviously, it's a private matter, but. You can still get hard, right? Yeah. Oh, okay, good. All right. Yeah. I was yeah. worried it affected your genitalia. No, 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 no. <laughs> uh, you want to keep it private, I assume? Yeah, yeah, I guess. It's it's no big deal. What'd you have? I, I had this operation on my back. Um, they had to well, take something yeah. off, and it turned out to be uh, something I didn't want it to be. How's that? Oh, you mean you had a, a like a, a birthmark, like a, 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 a cancer a mole scare with a mole? Or something, yeah. Yeah, well, it was. Oh, yeah, that's the worst. And then they dig into your back, right? And they gotta, Dude, he cut, he cut me. I got a four, like three and a half, four inch fucking incision in my back in the worst spot where mm. I can't get comfortable when I sit right now until it's, thought it's healing up now. But like the first, when he fucking called me, this asshole um <laughs> trainer it was Is it that was that trainer's it was, new name asshole <laughs> oh no it, it was the it was the, started it, it was the next morning i don't know if it, i don't remember if it was the same day that afternoon or it was the next day i wasn't sure oh, but v. well i don't know i mean i've had a couple of those removed but yours sounds a little more serious did you have the one that's actually like if it gets into your body it'll give you cancer like immediately or something yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. It sounds, yeah, and they and they what they do is they dig in and then they gotta 
check it under a microscope while they're doing it. Right? They did all that? Dude, this guy dug in. Forget about it. <laughs> it's, uh, uh, it wasn't fun. Let's put it no, that way. No, I hate I mean, it. I didn't I feel it. I didn't feel it, but afterwards time, it wasn't. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I could yeah. feel it. And you like know what else is put, bad? You know what else is bad? Stitches, when he was putting the stitches in, um, I could feel a pulling and all that shit, you know? Not the mm. pain, but the pulling, and he put stitches inside, outside. You know, that's how deep he had to go, and all that well, kind of shit. stay out of that sun, I'm telling you. Yeah, but he said it wasn't because of the no. sun. He just said something, right. you know, that developed. That's it. I want to talk what to you I about say? this some more, but I got John Cena here, so I got to stop, guys. But right. um, I'm so glad you're good. all right. All right. We're yeah. not going to call you as the doctor later today, Ronnie, I promise. Right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Hello, Ronnie. Uh, we have some bad news. Uh, <laughs> no, he already I, gave me that yeah. when I had to go right. back and get this done. <laughs> the only right. cure Ronnie's okay, everyone. All right, Mike, thanks. Uh, I got to take a break. I, I, I do want to hear a little more about that, but uh, we're going to talk to John Cena next. And... Uh, just finished watching the new film Ricky Stanicki. I got questions for him. I want. I want to. I want to get uh, deep into this man's life. But first, the peacemaker is here. <laughs> wow, you look good. Oh, thank you so much. Everything all right? I mean, what do you mean? I mean, uh, does he look what, sick to you? What, is what are the problems in your life right now? Well, what are you, you struggling know, with? You know, I, it's funny you say is everything all right because I figure a guy like you, who, who's handsome and muscular, you look at me and go, he's probably sick. That's why he's not working out. You know, I look like a guy who just never worked out. And I do work out. I have a gym. What uh, what do you focus on? Do you like to work out? I don't enjoy it particularly, but okay. I know it's important. At this point, if I can just move my head to the right and the left without pain, I'm, I figure I'm doing the right thing. So you look like a guy who works out, doesn't enjoy it, but knows it's important. I went on the internet and I'm watching you work out. You know, you posted when you were squatting. And this is when you were really going heavy. Yeah. You were squatting, you were um, snatching, yeah. you were doing, you know, you were doing all the basic exercises, but with extraordinary amounts of weight, like 600 something pounds you were lifting <laughs> over your head. It was fucking nuts. Uh, that was, I mean, uh, the profession calls for it. Yeah. You know, uh, you got to lift, lift folks and throw them. And John, you always say you were all natural, which is unusual. Still. You're still all natural. Yeah, still, still. You didn't want to put any of that shit in your body. And if, and I mean... Imagine how jacked you would have been if you used that stuff. Uh, so, you know, um, uh, there's there's risk reward there. You know, uh, you, if you hit the gas pedal too early, uh, you can get a lot of bad stuff happen long term. I'm not I'm not uh, amazing. We sit right down and talk about performance enhancing drugs. Yes. Um, I love to work out like yes. I, you, you said I don't, but I know it's important. I love to. It's it's uh, kind of like my meditation. So in other words, not, it's your me time. Uh, it's a place that I have to be present or else you're going to get hurt. Right. So in being present and exerting yourself physically, I just feel less stress when I leave, man. Like I, I don't not, I don't worry about anything while I'm in there except what I'm doing. And then I end up leaving calmer and in a better place than when I walked in. Did you ever have an agent or, or someone in the profession, especially in wrestling, who said to you, you know what, if you jacked up on some juice... You'd probably, I mean, not that, I mean, listen, you did as well as you can do in the WWE. Yeah. 
but they, and they, when you were first starting, they probably said, "Listen, the bigger you are, the you know, obviously, the more noticed you'd be." Not really. I I, I was hell. I've been two hundred twenty five pounds since I was seventeen years old. Wow. So I always filled out my frame okay. Right. And I, I I started lifting at thirteen, and I guess that's why I never needed it. And I, I, I I'm not ruling that out. They'll come a time. Time is undefeated. I know. And I get my blood work done three times a year, and my testosterone's fantastic for a forty seven year old. So. What does that mean? In other words, if your testosterone is high, um, your body is not aging as rapidly. No, it means you can you can more than likely. You, you'll feel good. You you still can functionally do. It's an indicator of like how how much my body can repair itself, how much I can build, uh, how, how many days I'm going to feel good, how many days will I feel intrinsically driven to do work. Right. When that falls below a certain level, and the level the window is huge. I'm talking when it falls below like three hundred, two fifty. I want to be able to to use science to help me get that back in the bracket. But I'm so far from that now. Yeah. So, I mean, I've gone 46, 47 years without it, and I have it in the bank, like as a fire escape thing to break open and hopefully give me another 20 years of fitness. When I had Arnold Schwarzenegger on, it was so revealing. I love that guy. I just think he's fantastic. He seems like a great guy. He I, is so bright. I've and met him once, but only just in passing, but he seems like a great guy. He was talking about aging. And he said, you know, here I was, this guy who was known as the most perfect body. I won awards. It's what launched my entire career. And he was talking about the despair that he's in when he looks at his body now in the mirror. And he said, I had these, you know, he says, my body's probably better than a lot of people's, you know, even younger guys. He said, but it's, I had this body that was so fantastic. This age just, it's such a bitch to deal with, you know, especially when you had all that. Uh, It's, I I think it's just some, again a matter of perspective. You you bring up those videos. I I I would get crushed by that sort of weight if I did that right now. So I look back on those moments fondly, but with like, um, you know, a little regret of like I'm not capable of doing that now. And I know the the weights that I'll be able to move will continuously go down and down and down. But the goal isn't to be like I was in 2010. The goal is to be the best I can now, and to plan for you know, a future of longevity and health. Um, yeah, that's tough. It is tough. But, uh, with, with age, you get wisdom, you learn from your mistakes, you know, um, there's a lot of benefit to it, but time, time is a motherfucker. I have, it is. And I, and I have regrets that I say this to my roommate who, who from college, when I was in college, they had this beautiful gym, this facility, and my roommate had been a big jock in high school. He was tops in lacrosse. He played football. He did everything. We got to college. It never once occurred to us to go down to the gym and work out. I feel like that, the fact that you, at an early age, at 13, was it? 14, something like that, that you had the wherewithal to go to the gym and focus on that. That would have given me some such great direction. I wish I had had that in my life. Well, you know what? I just uh, I did it out of necessity. I was getting beat up every day. You? Yes, I was not. I didn't always look like this. I was a small, scrawny kid, typical like back of the comic book, kick sand in your face, read this, and then become big. Did, where'd you grow up again? Uh, a small town of West Newbury, Massachusetts. Right, and yeah. you were getting your ass kicked every day. Yeah. Yeah, I, me too, but I didn't think to go to the gym. Did you go to the gym and work out? Didn't, or did you, did you start to learn karate or any no, boxing? No, so um, I had my dad buy me a weight set to be at home. And I just started on my weight set at home every day without fail because I was getting beat up. I didn't exactly have a huge social circle. Yeah. So I had a lot of time to myself. Yeah. So I would just work out every day. And by the time 
I matriculated to like high school from junior high at age 15 or 16, three and a half years of working out in the prime of adolescence and eating well started to take its, you know, started to show its yield. And that's when coaches were like, Hey, you should try out for the football team or you'd be good at this sport. So it, it kind of helped me give, get new pathways in life. Did you go back and beat any of these douchebags up? Not Uh, a one. Oh, you should do it. Not a one. You should look them up and beat the fuck out of them. That would be very costly today. (laughs) (laughs) Big mistake. That's a poor management decision. Yeah. You know, I was, when I was watching Ricky Stanicki, which I'll talk about. I, I think it's hysterical. Thank you so much. You know, uh, the Farrelly guy, uh, what's his name? Uh, Peter Farrelly. Yeah. He's one of the Farrelly brothers. I mean, the ridiculous comedies that are just so stupid, but they're so fucking funny, you yes. know? But I, you know, the, you were in the, you're in the movie with, uh, Zach Efron. Yeah. This guy, I never, you know, I never thought about Zach Efron. But when I saw the movie, The Iron Claw, and it's a movie about professional wrestling. Yeah, the Von Erichs in Texas in the 80s, 90s. I didn't know anything about the Von Erichs. It's the most tragic story in the world. I thought the movie was spectacular. Yeah. I thought Zach's transformation into this huge, muscular wrestling guy was unbelievable. And the movie, I don't know, it seemed, didn't you think that that movie would get some sort of recognition or at the Academy Awards? Isn't that shocking to you? Uh, there, I, I don't want to say there's not much that shocks me anymore, right. but, uh, I've also learned that there's a ton of shit that's out of my control. I went to the premiere of that movie. I, I took time out to support my friend and Zach. He came off of Iron Claw to film Ricky Stenicki, right? Right. It straight away. Yeah. And I saw pictures of him that leaked as, uh, one of the Von Erics. I'm like, dude, you just filmed a movie about world class. What was that like? And that's how we broke the ice. Yeah. He was trained by Chavo Guerrero, who, whom I've wrestled with. So we got to share stories about that. You didn't know him before Ricky Stenicki? Nope. And we met him and I'm like, man, you were just one of the Von Erics. Holy shit. How was it? Yeah. So he got to share his Iron Claw experience and we bonded over that. And I, I said, I'll make sure I'm there for the premiere. I loved the movie just like you. I thought yeah. it was, but it's, it's a dark story. It's a tragic story. Sure. Um, and I, I guess that, you know, I know he gave his heart and soul to it. I know he promoted it the best he could and all that stuff's kind of out of your control. You know, I became aware of you with, um, okay. I was, I was never like into wrestling. I didn't know anything about wrestling, so I didn't realize how how big a deal you were in the wrestling world. I'm always fascinated by wrestlers and and that whole community, but I I, I wasn't a, a guy who watched a lot of WWE, so it was like a world I didn't know. But what was fascinating to me is I, you came on my radar when you did the Amy Schumer movie, Trainwreck, Trainwreck, mm-hmm. and it's really a scene stealer. Like <laughs> I'm still amazed that you know you could come off the WWE. And get into a movie and be that relaxed and that cool on set. And it's really weird how the WWE has become like one one of the major launching pads for, for movie stars. Uh, I, ju- I just think a lot of the skills transfer. You yeah, know, I guess I, so. Yeah, I just think a lot. We, we're storytellers. And the more people lean into the fact that it's entertainment, you the, the tropey question from someone who doesn't know what WWE is, is like, oh, isn't that just all fake? Yeah, it is. It's it's entertainment. It's predetermined. We have storylines. We have scripts. We're trying to make, uh, you know, entertaining programming for the viewer 52 weeks a year. So, yes, it's entertainment. But it doesn't mean that you don't have a set of skills to hold an audience, to physically know what you're capable of, to do fight choreography, to promote. Like, there's a lot of stuff that transitions. That's the thing I appreciate. When I watch your fight choreography, 
Like, I remember there, there was a match where, you know, whether it's a real fight or not, you pick this, you, two, two guys climb up on a ladder, you being one of them, you pick this fucking guy up, <laughs> you put him on your shoulders, which is a, and you're standing on a ladder high up in the air, you throw him through a table. Yes. Who is the wrestler that you were doing that with? Uh, Adam Copeland. His, his name in the WWE is Edge. I, I'm like, this is a, a tremendous athleticism. And a lot of bravery on his part. Uh, you're not shitting me. Yeah. Did he get injured after that? No, no. It, it was actually, we did it so it was through two tables to try to break the fall even more. Right. Uh, it was an idea that he had that I thought was so outlandish. I'm like, dude, you really want to try to do this? I mean, we're going to be 15 feet up in the air and then you want to crash through two tables. And I, I feel confident that I can hit the bullseye, but I'm not, I'm not perfect. And it was he's like, no, I, I really want to do it. I think How this much did that dude weigh? When you picked uh, him up and you put him, you literally picked him up, but you're standing on a ladder, which is not, I wouldn't have that much confidence. No, and it's a ladder on the canvas, like the ring with give to it. So it's not a really solid stationary surface. So you're on the top rung of a 15 foot high ladder on a surface with a give and you got to you know, vault a dude off of your shoulders. And usually I kind of jump with people to give them momentum, but I can't jump because I too will fall off the ladder. Yeah. Uh, so you just kind of have to use all your upper body strength. And he, he does, uh, push a little bit. And that's the, the beauty of it being entertainment. We can work with each other to give it the great, the best show we can, but we hit the target. Nobody was hurt. Everything, everybody's okay. Do you go backstage afterwards and say, shit, we just pulled off a fucking WWE miracle. Like we, I just threw you off a ladder. Man, uh, what an exercise in trust um with adam towards me and i guess i i we always embrace this is usually everybody i work with um i share my gratitude because that's him taking a fall for me and, yeah. and his idea of like this will make you look great hey do you want to do this idea that makes you look awesome yeah and is really gonna hurt for me yeah that sounds all right let's try that so i was i'm i was am and and will always be grateful for him for that isn't it weird like I mean, I know because we've met before. Yes, and you've been interviewed by me, but and I and we got into the whole family background with your dad. Yeah, who you know worshipped. Thank you very much for remembering that. I appreciate. Oh that. fuck yeah! I mean, it was it, it was a great time actually, and and Thank you. Uh, and I appreciated you doing it. But I was also moved by your story. I, I mean, in my opinion, your father was a tough guy in the sense that. He had massive respect for wrestlers. You weren't sitting there with a plan, I'm going to impress my father and become a professional wrestler. You didn't know what you were going to do in life. But having a father who worships that and even used to say to you, you'll sit here and watch professional wrestling yeah. on TV. It's a weird relationship, you know? It is. And I can't imagine what that pressure was like when you became a wrestler and you went into the field and you knew the old man was watching. Like, I got to win my father over. He's going to love me if I become a wrestler. You know, I think for a while I might have thought that. Yeah. And then uh, I think for a while it was like, I'm going to do this just to shove it up his ass. Right. And now, uh, you know, we we talk about the negatives of time. One of the benefits of time is you really get to, to look a long lens at these relationships. And I love my dad. I really do. He's uh, We just see life in different perspectives. But I can't say that. I love my dad and not try to work on that love with my dad. So yeah. we're in a place now where uh, we operate a lot differently. What do you mean? If you don't mind me prying a bit. I don't, I don't think that I'm, I think he, uh, I'm, I'm thinking for him that's wrong. But from my perspective, I really think he would have loved to have the opportunities that I'd been given. 
So when you were, let's say, motivated to become a wrestler and become really great at your craft, that fuck you drives you, but it's a really crazy fuck you. It's like, you know what, old man? You could talk about wrestling. You could force me to watch it, but look what I did. I'm, I'm, I'm the top wrestler in the world. Well, I mean, it's, from my perspective, I never got a lot of attaboys from my dad because he had five boys. Yeah. And I, I've been super fortunate in life to, to get, man, so, so many opportunities. And everyone I've been aware of, like, this is an opportunity. I should pursue this. Whereas a lot of times life will deal us opportunity, the beautiful gym in, in college, and you don't know that it's an opportunity. So you don't take the opportunity. I've always been aware of, like, this is something I should do, and I'll invest wholeheartedly in it. And that's just, that's why I couldn't wait to talk to you. I sense that you didn't get the attaboy. Oh, John, you're you're wonderful. You're a lovely boy. Yay, John. And yet you had the wherewithal to go to go and love learning, experimenting with things, going to the gym. I don't know how you do that. So I think a lot of it was trying to prove my dad's ideology wrong. Yeah. Uh, but I think maybe by, and this is just me playing, you know, armchair therapist, maybe by me proving him wrong, it would force him to give me an attaboy, you know? It's, you know, it kills me because I have that same desperation for love. My father was a radio engineer. He worshiped guys who had a microphone in front of him. He would record Don Adams and Larry Storch and all the great voice guys. And he looked at them with such adoration. I'm, you know, I wasn't conscious of it, but I wanted, I wanted to impress him. Yeah, I, th I think for the longest I've been in the same situation of if I do this, my dad will finally say I, his his favorite line is I love all my sons. And me seeking out his sole admiration is selfish. He's trying to protect his sons or maybe may, maybe may not make my youngest brother or my oldest brother feel even more pessimistic than they might view the world if they don't have any admiration for my dad. Meanwhile, what's driving me to keep going, to keep chasing dragons, is for him one day to be like, you've done okay for yourself. Is the old man still alive? He is. And, and, and for a while, when he, you some, he, he got his break, like being the announcer on the WWE because of you. He, uh, he actually had the chance to be the main event of Monday Night Raw. He had the chance to be the main event of a WWE then pay-per-view, now premium live event. Like, he's been on the shows. He's been on SmackDown. He's been on Raw. He's been on our Sunday premium live events. Did he ever take you aside and say, John, I love you? You mean everything to me or something. Did you ever get it from him? So uh, the match where I threw the guy through two tables was in Toronto where that where uh, Adam Copeland is loved. So the crowd loved him and they hated me. But my dad was sitting ringside. And uh, the only thing I could think to do after that match was go hug my dad. And we shared like, I love you, son. I love you, dad. And that's very genuine. It was not lip service. Wow. Uh, because from my dad's perspective, he's sitting ringside, you know, watching his son do something magical. Um, I think what lacked was pulling me aside and saying, holy shit, thank you. Right. Because I love this and I probably love it more than you. And I love the WWE. And I know you do. I think he loves wrestling more than I do. I really do. Right. Never of like... Thank you for allowing me to be part of this. It was 
it was more like, yeah, I, I should have been here all along. But yeah. I, but I, 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 I don't put that past them. You know, that was just me hoping for, hey, Dad, I'm getting you on the show, right? There's something so sad and waiting for that and never get. So I think it also, because there is something sad. And I think for me, the origin of the sadness is like, I'm not enough. And one of those days I'm like, you know what? No, I'm doing okay. And I think when that moment of clarity happened, that's when I started to better my relationship with my dad. That's when I started to better my relationship with myself. That's when I started to really connect with the people I love in my life. It's just that, um, I, I, I tell a lot of people, I carry this pocket watch for that reason. It says on the back, comparison is the thief of joy. Because I struggle constantly with like, I'm put in a lot of rooms with people I admire and respect, such as yourself. And there's moments where it's like, look, I'm doing okay, but am I doing it right? Like, what the, what's going on? Do you ever think, what would my life have been like? Now, listen, you're doing great. You have a great life and you're successful and you're smart. But do you ever think, what would it have been like if your father was the kind of guy who could have put his arm around you and said, you know, son, I'm cheering for you. I think you're the best. Or something like that. So I don't know. Um, that's a that's a great question because in in the absence of that, throughout my life, I've always had real strong male mentors, like right when I needed them, from my first freshman football high school coach to the coach that then took me uh, under his wing in the varsity to the owner of Hard Knocks Gym in Amesbury, Massachusetts, to the dean of admissions for Cushing Academy, to the assistant football coach at Cushing Academy, to my offensive coordinator at Springfield, to uh, Ed Connors, who gave me a chance when nobody would out in Venice, California, and then on to my family in the WWE from Jim Cornette and Danny Davis up to Arn Anderson and Pat Patterson, the McMahon family. Like they've, I've always had strong um, guides. Did you seek those guys out? Did you actively say to yourself, I can't get it from my father, so I'm going to turn to my football coach and see if I can get some of that good stuff? So I have I don't know where this happened, but I've always operated under the construct of being coachable. And there's nothing more that a coach likes to do than coach. And I, I did have some potential. Like I bring strength to the table as a 15-year-old. So my freshman football coach was like, I'll make a player out of you. Right. And then I, I was able to just pass that to the next person. So everyone who wanted to help me had something to gain, and uh, it was a it was a great exchange where I received wisdom and mentorship, and they were able to help me craft my path forward. Gee, I wish I had been smart enough to seek some of that out. I, I while I was doing it, I, I really didn't know what was going on. So to answer your question, if my dad had given me that adoration. I probably would have fallen under his mentorship, which had nothing to do with athletics, which had really nothing to do with like diligent perseverance, um, nothing to do with lifting weights. Like my priorities probably would have shifted, you know, I, I, so I, I don't know what life would have been like. Did you ever say to yourself, why is it all of these men who are my mentors and have taken me under their wing? Why can't my father be strong enough to do that? Why can't he be smart enough or or emotionally res responding to me like these guys are. Uh, so that's a that's a great question. I think I think I might have always said, well, like I don't need him. And for the longest time, I'm not kidding you. For the longest time, I felt about my dad of like he was just a guy. Yeah, and that's that's a, that's a tough way to to look at my dad. That viewpoint has still changed, but that's that's only been just recently. But for the longest time, I'm like, 
I've had people in my life that have been my dad. Yeah. This guy's just a guy who him and my mom had sex and that's I was the result, but he's just kind of a guy. <laughs> and now thankfully be, to get over my own bullshit, he's much more of my dad, much more of my father. We're beginning to lean into those conversations. He's openly told me that he loves me. He's openly told wow. me that I've done extremely well. He's very, very proud of me and just me. And like, that's not without any instigation. That's not like, hey, dad, you never did this for me. That's us sharing a cigar and a glass of scotch in his, in his recliner. And like, hey, man, I don't know anything about your childhood. Tell me about what was like growing up. What were you like in college? And that spawns to, you know what? I'm I love you, son, and I'm really, you've done incredibly well for yourself, and I'm super proud. So those conversations have started wow. to happen recently, and they're extremely rewarding, but I just had to get out of the way of my own bullshit. How'd you learn how to do that? Were you in therapy? I have not gone to therapy, but I've, I, I fail a bunch. Like, every, I say, I can say to you, I love my dad. So if I love my dad, and I'm not working to try to make that relationship better, I'm full of shit, I'm a liar. Yeah. So if I try to block him out and he'll, he'll come to me or like stonewall him and tell him I don't need him. He'll, you know, he'll, uh, work on my terms or like, that's just my dad being my dad. Well, that doesn't mean I have to hang out with a guy who makes me feel like shit. So through these trial and error experiments, we're, we're both kind of getting to a place that is better for the both of us. I tell you, you're a way braver man than I am. I, I didn't have the bravery to sit down with my father and go. Hey, Dad, can you give me some of what I need, even though I'm an, an, a grown man now and I've made my accomplishments, but can you just, can you lighten up and, you know, I, I don't, I mean, you did it. So, uh, I'm not necessarily telling my dad to lighten up. I don't want him to change. That's what I've learned. Like, the vision I have of who I want my dad to be is not, is not fair for my dad. Right. My dad has earned the right to be whoever the fuck he wants to be. Right. I have to love him for him and for who he is. So instead of me sitting down and be like, hey, these are things you haven't done for me. Now when we sit down, it's like, hey, I don't know this about you. Tell, hmm. tell me about you. Wow. Like, let's talk about what, what was the worst thing I ever did? What was something I did that you remember that you were proud of? What's the worst thing you ever did? What, like, just open-ended questions like that where we're just talking about life and you're putting the time in you know you're that's the thing that's the thing Whereas it's like anything else before i was avoiding putting the time in because i was getting my fix from other resources and i just wanted the relationship to be better you know i constantly say i want to be a better brother i want to be a better uncle but i don't put the time into those things right so i'm full of shit yeah. And I have to hold myself accountable for that. And the, when the day comes when it's really important in my life, I will go in wholeheartedly. Were you ever angry with your mother? Like, did you ever oh, say, man. did you, yeah, did you ever say, like, you know, when, when the fuck is she? Why isn't she stepping in on this? What I mean when you were younger? Uh, man, my mom had the math against her. Uh, there was five boys and my dad, so. It's kind of like she was dropped in a frat house and <laughs> right. we were, we were just fucking awful kids. Like, really? I, yes. I was angry at my mom as a young kid, a teenager. And then I was really standoffish to my mom when she finally divorced my dad. Cause I, that was stupid motives for self-preservation. And I've since we, my relationship with my mom now is fucking great. How bad did he get? Did you stop talking to her for a while? I, the worst was I, when I found out her and my dad were going to get divorced, which is something that any one of us could have seen coming 15 years earlier. How old were you when you found out that I was 20, 21 and living in Venice, California. Right. And I hand wrote her a letter saying, if you take the house, uh, 
you have taken away your ability for to have me as a son. And wow. that was me kind of extorting her of like, hey, I'm gonna I might need this roof over my head. You are more than entitled. She gave up her career. She was well established in the local banking industry, and this is as a you know young twenty something year old. So just time under tension. You get in the financial industry. She's her dad's a, a Harvard grad. You know. You yeah, but isn't it weird? You you took your dad's side sort of in the divorce, even though you had this horrible relationship with your father at times. So I took the side of uh, wanting to have a backup plan. Yeah. And if my mom and dad split the house, the house would be sold. They would each have, you know, a smaller place to hang their head. And I would be without a room and a twin bed, which eventually I actually used. I got shipped from Venice, California to Louisville, Kentucky. And then when I debuted on WWE TV until I won the world championship, I slept in the same twin bed I grew up in. And my dad used to bring me to the airport every but, week. But you had real fears because you were homeless for a while. I mean, you. Yeah, but by choice. Yeah. And the, I always tell this story. Uh, with a perspective of this was my choice. My family has always been extremely generous. I was broke in Los Angeles. I went to school for four years. I got my piece of paper that says you're certified in movement studies, kinesiology. I tried to move out to the Mecca of fitness, Venice, to apply that degree. Eventually, my long-term goal was to get on with an equipment company like Cybex or Life Fitness or Precore, sell equipment for them because that's what I knew. Uh, I had ideas on how to make equipment better. You know, I was... None of that shit worked. Wow. I, I couldn't land a job. I, I ended up bouncing in a bar, and then I ended up working at Gold's Gym. What's it like bouncing in a bar? I mean, do you have to kick dudes' asses? I mean, I imagine when someone's... So, I was always dead sober. Like, right. I, had, I had my first drink at 26. So, I was 250 pounds. Um, you know, I could move and handle myself, and I was, you know... Patrick Swayze and Roadhouse sober. So wow. a lot of people that bring themselves to start violence in a bar are so drunk anyway. Yeah. They're just not fast. So yes, there were fights all the time, but it's like a drunken fight isn't an octagon fight. Right. You know, so it's yeah. a little easier to maneuver. And unless, you know, there's eight bouncers around. So unless there's eight people in the fight, usually it's two people in the crowd watches. So you can, you can get it out in the street pretty quick. But a drunk is unpredictable. They're unpredictable and you never know, but they're, they're also, they're also slower. It is a sedative. Right. So as long as you're aware of your surroundings and what's going on, and I'm working the door, so I'm kind of letting everyone in. So if I don't think you're going to, if I don't think you're going to be good, you're not going to get in. Isn't it amazing, though, the guy who started lifting weights because he got his ass kicked every day actually was able to be a bouncer and just intimidate the fuck out of people and, and that's, kick their ass? That's more of the thing, just creating an environment to say, like, hey, we don't want any trouble, you know? Yeah. Wow. What a... To me... Like when I hear Mr. T talk about even being a bouncer and stuff, it's, I mean, it, and, and trust me, I was a bouncer in Hermosa Beach. <laughs> right. I, I wasn't a bouncer in like some seedy places. I, I also right. don't want to paint the picture of like, I, I was the bouncer at Roadhouse where every day they're throwing bottles at the band and they have to stand behind the chicken wire and all that. You were, it was you were not winning the tough guy competition at that point. Not at all. It wow. was, it was, uh, it was a beach bar. So people would get hammered, but everybody was in like, beachy vibe so it was it wasn't a, a tumultuous place at all was it fun back in it those was days super fun man it was and i'm out in california trying to make it work it's why i lived in my car because i didn't want to go home so a lot of people were like man i got evicted and my family had no money and we had no place to stay so i was homeless like i had a choice of go home to home or stay out in the sun working night shift hours where i have the days to myself I have a part-time job at the gym. They let me train for free. 
and I have a locker room upstairs where I can shower, I'll sleep in the back of this Lincoln for a little bit. No shit. So in other words, you you do your gig at the bar. Yeah. You, you, and, and then you would go sleep in the car. So when I started working full-time at Gold's, Gold's Gym Venice was open from 4 a.m. to midnight. They only closed for four hours. Wow. So I'd pick up as many shifts as I could in Gold's. Uh, the place I worked at, the like selling the protein bars, they'd open at 6 and they'd close at 10. If I could pick up 6 to 10, I'd just stay in there because otherwise I'd be in my car. <laughs> right. So I'd go in at 4, shower, take my clothes on my locker, go to the to nutrition club stores, work until 10, work out afterwards, and go to sleep in my car. Unbelievable. It was great. And, and you're saving money, no rent. Saving money. So, wow. So that was absolutely by choice. I mean... But, and I was happy. I was genuinely happy. Like, it was a great... I look back on those times, I was simpler times back then, you know? Yeah, I mean, if someone says to you, go clean the toilets at Gold's Gym, you're like, yeah, sure, why not? Been there, done that. Yeah, right, fuck yeah. it, I'll do it. Yeah. It's crazy. So, you know, I mean, in a way, doesn't that make you strong, too, that even when you go into wrestling and you go into movie acting and everything, in the back of your mind, you know, you say to yourself, if if the shit hits the fan, I can always support myself. Isn't that crazy how... Um I, I share that perspective of if the shit hits the fan, right? Yeah. How are we still, how do we still have that perspective? Right. Right. But I still do. You do. Yeah, me too. If the shit hits the fan, man, I can go, I know a lot about cars. I can go sell cars. I can clean toilets if I need to. But like that, that's still there for some reason. Of like, man, if it's a fucking disaster, <laughs> the shit hits the fan, I can always go back to cleaning toilets. As a result of being homeless, though, and stuff, and, and working hard for your money, nobody handed you anything. Are you insecure about money? I'm, I'm insecure about money because a lot of it's beyond my control. Like, I'm, I'm invested in certain things, but like, if. I don't control whether they make good or not. And the, the construct of money in itself is a, a paper IOU that we kind of all believe in. So yeah. like it, that's my, that, that's where my nerves about money come from. And I also think that if you've been in a situation, cause I didn't, I didn't grow up with means. My dad was successful and then not very successful. And, and that's kind of how we grew up. Um, you just don't ever want to go back there. Yeah. Like I've talked to a lot of people, uh, man, Kevin Hart was able to share with me. He's like, man, I, I'm just, ne I'm never going back. And then right. I want to shake him and be like, dude, you, you are not right. Like you would have to make some serious errors in judgment <laughs> and there would have to be a financial meltdown, like not a recession, depression. Like it would have to get pretty nuclear out there for you to be in a bad way. Yeah. But he doesn't shed that either. It's, no. I just think it's something in there. That um, I, I call it like like a first generation entrepreneurs or whatever, what, however you want to term it. Like if you come from nothing, you get really weird about man. I just don't want to go back. Yeah, it's the worst. Yeah. It, it's it's a weird feeling inside, yeah. and you can't shake it. Yeah, yeah. No, I suffer from that too. Me too. Yeah, it's awful. I saw. I saw it kind of it kind of keeps you going though too. It's weird. It's like a push pull of like. Oh yeah. I'm I'm worrying about this thing that maybe shouldn't occupy my time, but at the same time, it's the driving force of like on the days where I'm tired and I might not want to do something. No, get the fuck up and do it. Yeah, I'm the same way. It's like weird. I, I said to my wife, you know, weird guys my age aren't really working. Most guys aren't, and I go. There's some. I always need to be making something. I need yeah. to bring in a paycheck. Yeah. That's just the way I am. And I think it'll never go away until the day I die. And and that's okay. Uh, as long as you're happy. And I, I... Oh, that ain't happening. 
<laughs> well, I, I hope that's a shield, man. I hope under all that you are you are happy. Uh, so getting back to you, yes, I um, so I remember seeing you in the Amy Schumer movie Trainwreck, and that's when I got interested in you because I thought that scene when you're fucking Amy Schumer. <laughs> It's just so great. What a life where we start out with that. Like, that's awesome. Of like, yeah, man, you know, that scene where you're fucking Amy Schumer. God, that was just so great. But it was great because it was just like she wanted to be with this hot, muscular guy, which is you. And uh, you're up fucking her. And then what she says turns to you and goes, talk dirty to me. And you start in with like using like football references or jock references. And, and it's the worst dirty talk ever. It just it just made me laugh so hard, and I went, oh, wow, there's more to this guy. He's not just a professional wrestler. The guy can act, you know. How did you get in that movie? So that was a scene based off of a moment in Amy's life where she had sex with a guy who was way too athletic for her, and it became, like, too much of a chore. Yeah. So I auditioned for it, and I auditioned with Amy and Judd Apatow, like, manning the camera, and... uh I had been run out of movies before. I did a bunch of bad movies, and this is when you first decided, like did it, the Marine, and then a, yeah. a, you know twelve rounds, and then a couple of just straight to DVD movies, and then not even DVD movies after that. And then finally, in about two thousand and nine, I, I looked at my age, and I'm like, "We're never doing movies again." He's like, "No, we're never, we're never doing movies." This is the guy who's supposed <laughs> he, to be in my corner. He agreed with He's you. Like, no, you're out. Of, you can't ever work in the town again. Oh God! So why, this, why would he do that to you? Why would it he... was we we operate under honesty and communication? But I see. He wasn't like you're done. He's like, "No, movies are off." We're going to find other options. We're going to look at branding partnerships. We're going to look at hosting. We're going to look at news. We're going to look at TV. It's not like I'm done with you, kid. It's like, listen, we, we're spinning our wheels in this lane. When, These are all the other lanes we're going to chase. When did that happen? Because I know, first of all, you are a guy unabashedly loves the WWE. Yes. You love professional wrestling. You're good at it. You know, fans love you. And you're still doing it. You'll go and do a wrestling match. Yes. So, you know, you're not a guy who was looking for a way out of wrestling. No. But you were just looking for opportunities. And you had said, back, back when I interviewed you, if I, if I remember it right, you even said to me, I'm not going to be an, become an actor. Yeah, I think I might have. You said to me, I'm not going to become an actor. <laughs> yeah. I love the WWE. I'm not going to be like The Rock or these yeah. other guys or the Hulk Hogan who goes yeah. off and, and now is pursuing a Hollywood career. My career is the WWE. Yes. When did that change for you? When did you go, oh, shit, this is, uh, I've been bullshitting myself. I want to act. So I think it was twofold. Uh, one, my body's like, hey, mind, you say you can do this forever. I'm going to give you another five years max. Right. And... And that was me saying like, oh, but if I super take care of myself, I can stretch it into 10. And for me, 10 years is like, I'm going to live forever. Right. But you, that's a blink of an eye in the WWE. You're on the road so much and you blink your eye and a decade goes by. So I think just me realizing that I, it, it's, a, it's something I can't do forever, combined with the fact that I didn't have a lot of wild creative freedom in the WWE. I had complete creative freedom over how I could curate my character. But I couldn't, like, turn bad. Right. And that limits what you're capable of. So playing the same character over and over again for 15 years every week without an off-season, I still love it. And I still do. That's why I still go back. But then someone gives you an opportunity of, like, hey, you want to be this weird, awkward, naked guy? Yeah. Yeah, fuck yeah. That sounds great. Let's do it. Did, did, do you... Um 
So when you're in the WWE, yeah. and you talk about being on the road, because that's the life, right? You have to go from city town to city. town. Yep. Did you love that aspect of it? I did. And I think that that also led to me saying, I'm never going to be an actor because I used to hate it on set. I really used to hate it. Like Boring. Man. That's what blows my mind. You, you know, you're not the kind of, um, you're not like an action star who doesn't talk. You know, there's a lot of guys who build careers not talking. Yeah. Clint Eastwood, you know, he... He made a point of not talking in his movies. He did all his acting with his face. You take these roles, man, where you got to memorize a lot of lines. But I heard this story about you, and it made me fascinated about you. You were on movie sets so much and so bored, you decided to learn piano. Yeah. You had a fantasy that I want to be able... You don't want to be, you know, Van Cliburn, but you want to be able to go to a bar somewhere, sit down... And just sort of amaze people that that's, you could play. That's the dream, man. That's my dream. Like, I don't. I know I'm not going to be Eddie Van Halen. Nope. But I wouldn't mind jamming with a friend. Just like a, a half half scotch sitting yeah. up there and like. What a great dream! But you didn't sit around and say, "Fuck it, that's my dream. I'm not going to go after it." How old were you when you started playing piano? Forty. Okay. Most guys don't do that. This is what I admire about you. This is why I say you're an unusual guy and that you still love to learn. So at 40, you're on these movie sets, and you've got movies where you're really doing a lot of lines. But you would bring a keyboard to the set with you, yep. and, and you taught yourself piano, or you took lessons with the teacher? I began to just watch YouTube videos, and then I uh, signed up for a tutorial program through the web, and now have, uh, I, I got to shout out Sean Cheek, my webpianoteacher.com guy. He's, uh, he's taught me in the last three and a half years to truly become a piano player can you read music i can't but he has a method where it's almost like piano tab so it's piano tablature and uh through that i've developed a good fundamental base on to play the stuff that i want and and slowly i would be doing much better if i just had a teacher over my shoulder and learned how to read music and developed good habits but the way that i can remain curious about it and the way it remains fun and joyful is the system i have now and i'm not held to any constraints i don't feel as if i have to miss a piano lesson i find myself wanting to play every day so uh i, I gotta thank sean for that you man. practice every day i try to yeah. most guys will never at 40 especially if they're accomplished in, in their field and you have a lot of accomplishments they don't want to go back to feeling like an amateur or a beginner it's too much of a blow to their ego but you're willing to say you know what i'll humble myself so you talk about that but like Talk about being an amateur and a beginner, train wreck. Yeah. That's, hey, we're going to put you around comedians. We're going to put you in a room, and every room you're going to be in are really funny people, backed by funny people behind the camera writing jokes for the funny people. Were you intimidated? Tons. But they created an environment where it's like, you're okay, you're fine. Because when I see you on camera, I am shocked at what a relaxed performer you are. When you're a peacemaker or when you're in Ricky Stanicki, and I mean, you carry that Ricky Stanicki thing on your shoulders. I mean, the movie, if you suck, it ain't going to be a good movie because that's a tricky role. It's, you know, and you're working with one of the Farrelly brothers. Fuck, I'd be a nervous wreck, but you just seem loose as a goose. Well, so this is what I mean by a lot of WWE translates. Um, I I do a lot of improv in WWE, but it, I only have that sense of awareness and freedom because I've done the prep work. 
I'm meticulous about what story we're trying to tell, who are we trying to reach, how much time do we have, what are the capabilities of myself, what are the capabilities of my opponent, and then I kind of just go out there and figure it out. But I don't just go out there and figure it out. There's so much work, you know, weeks, sometimes months of work that go into the one event where I'm like, no, we'll just figure it out out there. And it seems like, what the fuck? But, but I've already been thinking about it for three months. So with movies, it's I just took the same philosophy of prepare as much as you can. What's the prep? Learning your lines. Memorize. 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 Memorize not only your lines, but like read the story through. So with Peacemaker, eight episodes, I just read it every day. It becomes my favorite book. So I read it every day. When you were in the Suicide Squad, where Peacemaker first makes his yep. you know debut... You know, I'm thinking about Idris Elba, Margot Robbie. I mean, there's some heavy hitters in that movie. Yeah. I could imagine you're like, what the fuck? I'm, I'm this guy from the WWE, and now I'm in a movie with these people who really, you know, have devoted a life to acting. So, uh, again, things in WWE that translate. Um, in Trainwreck, uh, same with, like, Sisters, um, same with Suicide Squad. There's a lot of opportunities, like Barbie is another great example. There's a lot of opportunities that I've been given where I can swing big and the movie doesn't rest on my shoulders. Right. And in the WWE, if you're like the opening match or a semi-main event, as long as you're not the last one, right. you can kind of stink the joint out. So you yeah. can try, you can swing big. And that's kind of where like the you can't see me thing came from and all the wacky shit that I used to do in WWE because I didn't think anybody was watching and I knew that the gate didn't rest on my shoulders. The gate rests on the shoulders of the champion. Yeah, but you know, the WWE, I mean, it's a real different thing, movie acting, and it's like, when you're doing those scenes as Peacemaker, and, and when they gave you the series Peacemaker, too. Sure. I mean, jeez. But uh, that's that's also, uh, it was, you know, that was James Gunn's idea. I worked with him on Suicide Squad. We met even before Suicide Squad to just talk about his expectations, how he views filmmaking, um, how, he, how he views life and people around him. We hit it off. So, especially after going through like a middle of the card situation with Suicide Squad, when he moved me up to the main event, I was, I was ready. I loved the system working under James. I knew it was going to be a little more prep work because it's a little more memorization. Uh, but all I just did was do the work and be coachable. And in all those, you know, working with Peter Fairley isn't, it can be nervous, but it's also a blessing. You have a guy with a track record of great storytelling, great laugh making and great filmmaking. I trust that that guy's not going to sit in Australia, set up all these lights, shoot the movie, and tank the film. I trust that that guy's going to want to do well. So the big, John, the big controversy was, because you were critical of The Rock leaving the WWE yes. and, you know, and, and becoming an actor. Yes. At the time, you're a young guy and you're sure. like, you know, hey, what kind of bullshit is this? Why yeah. is The Rock going off and acting and everything and you were vocal about it absolutely and part of it also is shtick too because you're in the WWE trying to, and trying to get him back but it's such the wrong way to do it so it became a real feud between you and the rock oh my god yeah and, i mean and, it was real it wasn't some so, bullshit so to me it was more of like i'm gonna jab this guy because I, I have nothing to lose. I have all the leverage. Right. I'm there every day, and I love being there every day, and nothing is really pulling me away from being there. But so, were like, you, But were you hurt that The Rock left? In other words, were you like, hey, he, he shouldn't do that. You've got to respect no, the WWE. No. Uh, I guess my angle came from the fact that he was openly saying, like, I love the WWE. And I'm like, man, if you love it, why aren't you here? Right. 
And what a stupid thing to say, because right. I can sit across from you now and say, I love the WWE, but SmackDown's in two days. And I'm not going to be there. Right. You know, they're doing Elimination Chamber in Perth right now. I'm not going to be there. So, like, I can say that. And I was. it was just an ignorant... It was in my ignorant perspective, and I'm I'm so sorry because he had a lot to lose. Right here, he's putting his word on the line, saying I had to leave this thing. I love it; it's ingrained in my family. My mom was a promoter. My grandfather was in the business. My father was in the business. I'm generation generationally tied to this. I I fucking love this, but I'm just doing other shit right now. Well, now you understand it of because course. you're doing other shit, and, 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 and now I have to eat a bunch of shit and say like, fuck, I was wrong, and I'm sorry. I love that you say you were wrong and you're sorry. Did you ever call him up? I mean, personally, call him up and say, hey, Dwayne, uh, I, I want to, you know, almost like what they do in AA. I'm sorry. Yeah. I made a mistake. Yes. Can you forgive me? And and if you can, I understand. So not exactly in that order. I jabbed until he actually came back and that made it worse because now we're in the, the same cage wanting to come out triumphant so we wouldn't talk to each other there was a lot of stepping over the line of boundaries of what's what's permissible and trustworthy in the ring and what's not i violated his trust again by calling him out on some shit that i you know didn't necessarily ask for his approval he did the same to me so we grew farther and farther apart until we actually had to perform here in miami for wrestlemania and i cut i kind of knew what was going to happen like a year in advance but the decision on how the end would be was put up for debate until about two days before WrestleMania. About who would win. About who would win. Right. And this is a very important thing. And I, I think it uh, certainly a lot of a lot of weight rested on Dwayne's shoulders because he's the one who came back. And he didn't, he didn't need to come back. Right then he really, he's on the way to becoming in his own universe. He doesn't need to grace us with his presence. Right. He's He's doing okay. Right. Um, so he comes back and he does a lot of dates for us and the buildup is fantastic. We build a thing for a year. It breaks records for WWE. We break attendance records. One of the most successful events of all time in the company. Two days before we begin going over what we're supposed to do. Was that remarkably uncomfortable in your life because you have to meet with him privately? For like five minutes. Wow. Because... Uh, we had buffers and Pat Patterson and Art Anderson and Michael Hayes. We finally have to be in the same space. And eventually we do have to work together. And he is so professional and so meticulous. And I just wanted to get the match in the ring. Right. So it wasn't like, hey, we got to do this and this and this. Ideas would come. And I'd be like, yeah, let's do that. Let's do that. Let's do that. So we incorporated every one of his great ideas into the match even the very end where i get too cocky and ended up losing and the fact that it was a clean loss and you know he had his moment this wonderful wrestlemania moment like the the reason he came back this is why he did this after that uh, first and foremost i went to his mom and i said I was sorry and I hope she understood everything that I was doing was just for business and his mom is an ace she was she was amazing and then I went to him uh, and I always traveled with a, a jug of like pure Tennessee moonshine and I went to him with a, a mason jar and said this is kind of a tradition we have on on the road now I just wanted to share this tradition with you uh, because it's so high proof man we just we just got it out of the jar um, but I hope you understand that everything 
by the result of what just happened. I didn't put up any reluctance to take the three count. I didn't put up any reluctance to the finish. I welcomed good ideas, not selfish ideas. We had a great performance out there. It was so fun. Um, and I think it was in those 30 minutes that he had a greater understanding of this kid's just a little ignorant. He was trying as hard as he could. He doesn't see the whole picture yet. Are you friends now? Yes. Yes. He's, wow. He's, and that's the thing. He's been super instrumental yeah, of I'm, me being me. Yeah, but I'm shocked that he would even agree to a match with you. He, I, I, if I was him, I might have said, you know what? I'll, I'll come back and do some stuff, but I'm not doing it with Cena because sure. Cena's been a real dick to me. And could why it, should I give him? Uh, that accolade could have easily said that but that i think that goes to show how professional he is and when you say if 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 stuff goes down personally between two wrestlers you say certain boundaries were crossed and certain trust was broken do you mean you have you mean in the ring in other words you, you can't trust each other to not hurt one another sure or? sure so when we actually perform physically uh, I assume you have a set of skills and a set of sta safety standards. You assume the same about me. Right. So if we're in the ring together in an impromptu moment, I say, give me a boot and a clothesline and then a suplex. I shouldn't have to run your credentials to see if you're okay to do those things. Right. But if I continuously violate your trust out there and then I tell you to do those things to me, you may not believe that our best interests are in mind. You may believe it's my best interests. So I may try to make you look foolish and in doing so somebody may get hurt. So it's, it's not the way to do business. And I, I was wrong. And I did and you business. did some of that. I did. And I did it the, the wrong way with the, with the indication of let's sell tickets. Kind of like when boxers get at each other and they talk crazy shit, but it's a boxing match. Yeah, they're they're in it in competition. They're not in it to work together. I, um, I understand everything you're saying. I regret like some some relationships that I totally fucking blew up in my career because I'm on the air and I think I'm you know I, I think it's just words we're having fun everyone's in on it but sure. they're not they're not always in on they, it uh, they are words but you you do have to be accountable they matter and and I'm sure when you said those things you knew you were reaching your viewers and causing a stir and getting right. some reach and all those good things but then the byproduct is you have to be accountable and that's right boy as time made me be accountable here i am the hypocritical hypocritical prick sitting on the chair saying i love wwe but i'm no longer there right so i i've become what i despise and that's the ultimate like that's the ultimate in accountability speaking of the rock i saw that he did come back recently yeah. and he got kind of fucked over because I, again i didn't understand this there's a guy that everyone wants to see in this big match yes and the WWE writers wrote in The Rock, gave him the match, mm -hmm. and the fans are pissed. And now The Rock is getting booed, and he's like, what the fuck do I need this for? Yeah, but again, he embraced it. He and and I, I admire that about Dwayne. He will just lean in. Like, will you guys call each other on the phone now? And Man, I, I text him all the time. He'll send me voice messages. He'll send me texts. Like, oh, wow. He's... He's truly in a universe of his own, and every every inch of success he's ever earned is that word is very important. He has earned it. Yeah. And now having to try to tread in some of his wake, I see exactly how difficult all that is. And I'm not even a hundredth of his level. He is just man. He's a he's an electric force when he shows up. I mean, you're. I mean, what was it like for you to go into that um, the um, uh, Vin Diesel uh, thing too? The uh, it was great. You liked it. It was great. Uh, you, you close with him? 
Vin is great. Yeah, he's a uh, man. He's an unbelievably good family man. Like uh, his seeing his kids, you know, he he creates a family environment on set. You know, he's been doing yeah. ten installments of this Fast and Furious franchise with kind of the same people. So they, it's kind of their way to get together every few years. Well, he's smart about it. You know, when you you know when you get into something good. And there's a franchise, and people are paying money to go see it. Stick with it. Yeah, sure. These actors who who like walk away from some franchise like that, I never get it. Uh, so, so I get it because also you know the byproduct of that is being typecast, right? And once you do so well in a certain lane, having done that, like the parts I used to get, do you want to throw th- somebody through a table? I understand why you say that, but like I'll I want to do something different, right. so I I can get the urgency to like okay I'm doing two and then I'm done, but I also get the hey you, it's so tough to get an act, you just got an act that works, do a hundred of these acts you know I I get both perspectives. There's another thing that really blew my mind that I learned about you, and uh, again I really admire you. The um. So the W, tell me if I have this right. The WWE has a special program or special benefits for guys who, you know, who work in the WWE. And one of the weird things they offer is they'll pay for you to learn a foreign language. Yes. They'll, they'll cover the costs and they'll also cover, um, more than partial costs for any secondary education. So if you want to go get, if you want to get your GED, if you're not graduated from high school, if you want to get a bachelor's, master's, doctorate, they'll, They'll help you out with that. So, again, what I admire is you humble yourself and say, um, you know what? I'm going to take advantage of this. I want to learn to speak Chinese. Yeah. And, I mean, that Chinese is a tough language. Still tough. Still kicks my ass every day. But you're fluent in Chinese? Not fluent. Uh, it's, um, I, I'm conversational. I, that's another thing. I don't, I don't want to get people the idea of, like, you tried this and now you're excellent at it. I've been studying that for 10 years, man, and it's still a fight. It's a fight. I, I, I don't know how you look at language, but I see that as a superpower. Like, one of my daughters is fluent in Spanish, and I go, I go crazy from it because I think it's so great. Like, my fantasy is to be standing in an elevator, and in your case, like, some Chinese people walk in, and they're looking at you because you're, you know, you're this white guy from America, and they're talking, maybe even talking about you, and then all of a sudden you look at them and go, you know i mean that's my i've had that moment so much you've had that yes tell me about that so that to me is a superhero i got to film a movie in china with jackie chan right and we were in um inner mongolia and we were in beijing and i mean i lived in china for six months wow and it no one knew who i was but in inner mongolia i'm the only big white guy out there Honda Byron, that's your big, really big white guy. Yeah. So every day I get in the elevator to go to work and there'd be somebody in there and they'd just be talking away. And I always wait for that moment when I can get out of the elevator and turn to them and say, Oh, woman by knee, man. I understand you. And their faces would just, What the fuck? <laughs> There's a guy on Instagram. I, f- I watch him all the time. He's this white kid who speaks Chinese. Yeah. And he goes down to, you ever seen this guy? He goes down to Chinatown and he walks around and people are talking and all of a sudden he breaks into Chinese and the look on the Chinese people's face is so fantastic because they're like, you know what? You respect our language. We've never met, you know, some white dude who even bothered to learn Chinese. It's also just so different and difficult from English. But uh, the reason I 
took it is because the WWE rolls out this blanket program for all of its talent. And this was in 2012 or 13. And I'm, I've been on TV now for over a decade. My path is pretty much secure over there. Right. I'm sitting in the front of this auditorium talent meeting where 120 people are being told you can get free education and um, they, they give you financial assistance. They're going to cover more medical, like all the stuff they don't have to do. They're, hey, we're going to roll out this program of benefits for you guys. That's and great. I wanted to stand up and turn around and shake my fist and be like, you young fuckers don't know how good you have it. Because when I broke in the business, they didn't have this shit. I didn't do any of that. Right. I just said, I'm going to take it. I'm going to take the program. And I signed up that day for the program. And you also, uh, you spend some time talking to wrestlers about, hey, dudes, take advantage of this shit. Like, you you advise them. Well, so uh, this is a way for me to gauge how connected I am to the WWE. What do you do in your free time? Like, when the time is yours and you're not working. Right. I'm in Tampa. The Performance Center is in Orlando. That's is where a, a lot of the WWE hopeful talent are, and the NXT brand lives. It's just the, you live the, in Tampa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been there for twenty twenty some odd years. You love like it. it? I love it. Yeah. So it's a like a seventy mile drive to Orlando from where I'm at, and on my days off, I'll hop in the car and just go listen to. I want to hear what the youth of sports entertainment how they view sports entertainment and just because I'm so detached from it. Right. I can also give perspectives that are thought provoking of like, man, you just, all you gotta do is this, this and this, but I'm not, I'm not right or wrong. This is just my perspective because they see the same coaches every day. They go through the same routine every day. Why do you do that? You just get joy from helping these younger guys. I, I still love being in the business and attached to the business. And if the business doesn't, continuously become more successful all the effort and time i put in which is a whole lot i missed a whole i chose to miss a whole lot of personal events and like put my personal life on hold that's all kind of wasted you know Uh, it's not about what you did it's about where where shit is now you know if you're if you're not growing then your accomplishments eventually don't mean shit that's a really unusual thing that you take first of all i could imagine most wrestlers don't sit there and think about taking a foreign language even though they have this opportunity oh, i hated it i still hate it i i use um why uh, chinese though why not spanish so good question uh the wwe was not and still is not in china it's the only place on the global map we have like a dead zone they just don't get it Right. And I think it's because we're, we've never been allowed in due to entertainment constraints or whatever. We're right on that border of like, is it violent? We don't want to show violence. Is it an exhibition? Cause we do show Kung Fu exhibition, but right. I don't know what it is. So they don't know how to classify it, which means they're gun shy on airing it. And if we don't have any TV, we don't have any relevancy. We don't have any relevancy. Nobody understands. We couldn't do events over there. And I'm like, Man, there are so many people, and you look at Chinese box office totals, and I'm like, man, they will see some entertainment over there. Yeah. We should be over there. So my thought process was, okay, if I can become someone who can communicate in the language, maybe I can bridge the gap for them to better understand and open up the marketplace. Oh, man, I would love to be with you when you're just standing around, and all of a sudden, some Chinese person realizes you can speak Chinese. (laughs) <laughs> that is just too, what was the best example of that like, just it, it's certainly in china when yeah. people are looking at me awkward calling me big white guy 
Oh, that's so good. And then you go, yeah, just, just give them a little bit. And that's the thing when I say conversational. I'm like a sentence at a time. If someone was to speak fluently right in front of me, I'd have to like, I still have to convert their words into English and then plan my response. So it's a lot of processing time. I'm a really slow computer. Why did your advisors, you know, your agents, PR people, whoever it is is on your team, why did they tell you not to do the Barbie movie? I mean, at the time they probably thought, well, so what's this th- going to be? That's not a, it's not a big team, which I'm grateful for. I don't have a publicity department. I don't have, um, I, I, I have a manager only because it's me and him. We're kind of like a, just a two pronged fork. Um, and an agency that, that goes out and tries to look for work. And I don't, I don't put it past them. They're just, going on what they know and what they know is this entity this commodity is gravi- gravitates towards these things we should stay in this lane but i'm not a commodity i'm a human being and i operate under the construct of every opportunity is an opportunity and i read the script of the movie i tried my hardest to be in the movie but we were filming fast filming next door and then when i finally got connected with the people who could make the decisions and Margot was like, we'll make you a merman. You'll be in it for half a day. Right. Yeah, sure. But the, I think the, I think the perspective from an agency standpoint was this is beneath you, which I, I get, I get that. Yeah, but isn't it sad? Like when you start out with something new, like acting a kill for that. Exactly. Because you have all the freedom in the yeah. world. Nobody expects anything from you. You got to just get in the movie. You got to, you, you, who cares if it's a shitty movie, a good movie? It doesn't matter to you. You, yeah. you know, no one's judging you. Now, I imagine things have tightened up. Suddenly, you want to go do a bit part in uh, Barbie for fun. Oh, don't do it. You know. Well, so, yes, but also to the agency's credit, immediately they acquiesced and I was like, no, we're, we're going to do it. Yeah. They, but all they can do is offer their guidance. They can't, they're not ultimately making the choice and their guidance is, Hey, uh, truly trickle down economics from this might take you out of these lead lap slots. And I get all that. I've always operated under the philosophy of good work gets you another chance. Ricky Stanicki, the new movie. Was it true that the, was was Farrelly looking at at one point or or somewhat like Jim Carrey was sure, attached to it? Movie's been around for like almost twenty years. It, it, and for those of you who haven't seen it yet, and obviously you haven't because it's it's going to be it's I, I should uh, here I should uh, do the proper plug. Ricky Stanicki's going to be on Amazon Prime Video March seventh. It's a really Appreciate funny it. comedy. <laughs> it's a it's a ridiculous comedy, and it's that Farrelly brothers ridiculous. Like there's a scene where. Ricky Stanicki is a made-up character by these guys who, because of circumstances, now they hire an actor who is John to play Ricky Stanicki. But there's one hysterical scene, and it's such childish humor. And I remember my wife walked in the room when I was watching it, and she's laughing hysterically about how, um, yeah, they go, Ricky um, had testicular cancer. And then one of the other guys slips up and tells his wife that he had anus cancer. And you go, yeah, 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 but it went into his anus. And and these ridiculous lies, and there's a couple of scenes where you're singing ridiculous songs yep. as your character, but it's typical Farrelly Brothers type humor. I mean, yeah. it's real juvenile, and that's what I like. It's I like their Peter's ability to mix juvenile with heart. Like, yeah. there's, there's a lot of heart to the movie as well. But that's the difference between you and, let's say, The Rock and... Um, even like Arnold Schwarzenegger or the typical like leading kind of, you know, muscle guy, you can carry a comedy 
I mean, that's not an easy character to play. I don't think I don't think Ricky Stanicki is an easy film to do. And quite frankly, I kind of understand why they thought about Jim Carrey. Oh, man, he would have been fantastic. Thank God. Thank goodness he said no. Yeah, he <laughs> said no. And who was the other guy? Was it uh, James Franco who was supposed to play Ricky Stanicki? I'm I heard? not sure. But I haven't been around for 15 years. I know I wasn't, you know, and, and that's OK that I wasn't the first choice. But, but uh, is it OK? Does it fuck with your head? When not you go, at all. They were looking at Jim Carrey. I I have never been the first choice at anything I have ever done in my life. Even I've Peacemaker? Just... Oh, no. Who is really? Yeah. Because I can't imagine anybody pulling that off beside so you. That's fun. Uh, but people also are like, man, I can't imagine anybody being WWE champ from that point on except you. But Who like, is up for Peacemaker? I don't know. That's a better James Gunn question, but I knew I was not number one on the on, on the depth chart. The reason when when I real when you really got on my radar again, I, I didn't know rest. I knew that from the train wreck movie because I liked that scene. But when I saw you in Peacemaker, and I I got on the radio and was raving about uh, you so your much. performance. I really did because I don't know if it got back to you, but I was really blown away by the fact that I typically hate any kind of goofing around for my superheroes. I want my superheroes serious. I don't want any kind of comedy shtick or anything. And then you did Peacemaker, and I couldn't get enough of that fucking series. It was just the best. Are you doing a second? Uh, uh, we are. We are. Really? Yes. Have you started shooting it? We have not. I think uh, hopefully, cross fingers, everything's set to go for the middle of the summer. You seen the script? I have had a sneak peek at some of the pages. And, and, uh,. It's fucking great. It is? <laughs> it's fucking great. Do you live in fear that, like, oh, shit, this thing's going to be crappy? Uh, like, oh, if these guys write a, you know. Man. Same with the WWE. What if they write you into a shitty premise? Can you go to them and say, this sucks? So, WWE is a little bit different because you kind of have control of what you say, just not what you do. If they put us in a storyline and yeah. said, hey, okay, we need three months out of you guys. You have three one one match per month. You're going to be on TV three weeks out of four weeks every month, and you're going to culminate with a Hell in a Cell match. We get to craft how that goes. Right. Do I worry that Peacemaker is not going to be successful? I, I want it to so badly. Right. The What is within my control? Giving my heart and soul to it. So I will do the work, and I will be coachable. But I'm surrounded by good people. Um you know, hopefully we're getting the 11th Street kids and the gang back together. And, uh, but man, I love James as a storyteller and he surrounds himself with good folks. So I know we're going to be put in the best place possible to, to be as successful as we can. So what you're saying is, if I, if I hear this right, if something you're in tanks, whatever yeah. the definition of tanks is, sure. no one streams it or, yeah. you know, if financially it's a, it's just a buzz. A, yeah. You're okay with that because you've given, your best performance and you don't lay awake at night going oh fuck you know my career was going so well now everyone's going to see me as a loser blah 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 you don't go through any of that neuroses no no and i think it's i think it's because you have you bomb so much in the wwe right like with 250 shows a year they're not all winners some are and some aren't so you bomb a lot what do you mean some are so how do you know what's the metric man if you go into you know, Birmingham, Alabama, and you sell 700 tickets. Oh, wow. And that's that. Or I remember going into, to, it was then the MCI Center in D.C. and selling 700 tickets. Are you afraid they're going to blame you for that because you're one of the headliners? So at that point? I, I wasn't one of the headliners, but what I did do was like, okay, why did this happen? Right. What are the reasons? And everyone will give you excuses in, under. So eventually I learned to just 
point at myself of like, did I do the best I could when I was called on to perform? Did I, did I leave anything in the tank or did I give everything to the audience? Okay. Check. I feel I did. Did I promote as hard as I could? Did I sit in chairs like this and talk about Ricky Stanicki coming out on Amazon prime March 7th right. to as many fucking people that would listen when I'm called to do my duty? If my answer is yes to both of those, then I can really dive into, okay, what did I learn? What can I learn to do better next time? Like what yeah. is, what is the takeaway rather than, oh fuck, if I had only, you know what I'm saying? Well, yeah. In fact, you could have taken the attitude, oh wow, the McMahons didn't promote this enough and they didn't spend enough so money easy. And, and all that kind of bullshit. Especially when shit rolls uphill and it's all on the backs of corporations and it's so fucking easy to say they fucked me. You know, there were so many guys in radio when I was coming up who would say to me, you know, this fucking station, man, they're not promoting. I don't see any TV commercials on there. And I go, hey, guys, we got to do this. You know, we got to do something fucking great in order to. We can't wait around for management to start spending money. They spent money on us. We got to go. And you're right. You got to figure it out. Don't sit around and wait for management to figure it out. Yeah. And if there is a, a fixable problem within your control, fix it. If not, keep kicking ass and do all you can. Well, you, you really do live by that because I thought it was funny as shit that when you were promoting Peacemaker, you would do interviews and walk in in the Peacemaker yeah. costume. Yes. Which, you know, some people would say that's over the top, but you were like, fuck that. I don't care. I'm going to do it. I did that in the Suicide Squad because the Suicide Squad had like 30 principal superheroes in it. Yeah. And we're trying to promote this new band of like weird, eclectic superheroes to promote the movie. I can't tell you how many times I've walked into a place as John Cena. Ball cap, T-shirt, jorts, sneakers, double wristbands, yeah. headband, towel. Like, that's, you see what you're going to go see. That's something I learned from WWE. Like, the concept of uniformity and letting, get, getting people familiar with the personality is, oh, that's the guy with the shiny helmet. He's got a show? All right, I'll check it out. And, yes, I look stupid, but I look stupid anyway, so who cares? I love when, uh, what's his name, Bloodsport or whatever, he, he looks at you and he goes, What's that thing on your head? Is that a toilet bowl? Or <laughs> you know, like, like, it's just a ridiculous costume they have you into. Yes. It's just so funny. Which is, a, if you look at the old comics, it, that's the Peacemaker costume. Oh, it's so funny. In, P in Suicide Squad, there's a move you did that is just such a, a, it's just a quick moment. I wonder how many people just love it like I do. You're walking in, you're killing tons of people, and you walk by some guy, and you're not even, and he's laying on a stretcher, and you just take your knife, and you stab Hatchet. him like, 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 yep. like. I, I, I've watched that scene 50 times. See, that's being coachable. Like, having done physical storytelling before, I didn't understand that. Yeah. James is like, no, you have to get as many hits with the hatchet as possible in this amount of time. And I didn't understand it. I'm like, yeah, but like, maybe some hits to certain areas would be better. He's like, no, it needs to be as many as you can. You need to be emotionless and look forward. And it should be like an arm or one of those cats. Like just, <laughs> it's so casual as you yeah. kill this guy. Yeah. It's like, you don't even look at him and you, <laughs> I mean, it's such a great movie moment. He's a hundred percent right. And you're right. Trust and, the and, process. And you get the credit and uh, why not? It's so good. Completely his idea. Unbelievably funny and a really tough role to play peacemaker I don't but know. fun though you see i think guys deserve academy awards for roles like that it's, um, you know it, it's easy so to give a role to someone and be serious to be funny. super super kind of you to say but look at all i've been rewarded for yeah but because of that so yeah. i'm allowed to do my craft more 
and it gave me greater depth of field. Peacemaker got me Ricky Stanicki. Yeah. It also got me another season of Peacemaker. So although I don't have um, an accolade from my peers who are like, yeah, man, you an attaboy from my dad, essentially, it's given me so many other opportunities. Like, that's I'm so grateful for what Peacemaker's given me. Can you now read a script and know when a movie is bad? In other words, you're getting offered a lot of stuff now, I'm sure. I can read a script and know when I think I think it's bad. And right. that's if I put it down. Right. If I don't read it cover to cover in one sitting, because I, I do enjoy reading, if I don't read it cover to cover in one sitting, it they better write me a check to change my mind. <laughs> How many scripts do you read a week? Anything that I get offered, no matter what. Because it's there, you know, e- even the first four episodes of Peacemaker were like 190 pages. So typical scripts, like 120 pages. Sometimes a single episode for TV would be 41. And that's with stage direction and stuff. So it's, you, you can get through it. And I, I just want to know what I'm getting myself into. One, because if I'm riveted by the story, I can be a merman or I can be the lead. It doesn't matter. I'm happy to be in it. But when you read the script, are you distracted because you're going, oh, gee, how am I going to play this scene? How am I going to play that scene? Or do you read it in an unemotional state and just read the story? I read it as a book and I don't know. I don't want to know what they want me for. Right. So I'll just, hey, we have this script. Uh, they're thinking of making an offer. Is it, is it something you want to read now? I'm gonna, I'll read it. I'll read it. And I read it first. And then I hear what they'd like me to do. And if it, if it was painful to get through... You know, every once in a while, I'll, I'll try to make those work. And those are the, those are going against my value system. So that it really is a, is a tough hill to climb. When you did the nude scene with Amy Schumer. Yeah. Here you are like in a, in a really good situation, working with a good director, blah, blah, blah. And you're with Amy. You got to walk out on the set fully nude or you're not, you're not wearing a, a, a the piece, little, the little thing, spandex sock. sock that like tapes here and yeah. then tapes to your perineum. Yeah. You're so, not, you don't wear that. No, I did. You did? Yes. Wow. Yeah. That, I mean, you know, for a guy who's just starting out in acting, I mean, yeah, you've done other stuff, but I mean, that's pretty intimidating too. Or you're not uptight about nudity. So I'm not really, I'm not really uptight about it because, um, you yeah, got a big I'm, penis. I'm, yeah. I, I don't, no. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I guess perspective is everything. Right. Uh, um, I can't I, do a nude scene. I'm, mine, mine's too small. I mean, I don't want the the the, the um, people on set to see it. <laughs> you know what I mean? I just don't. Uh, I I get where you're coming from. Yeah, uh, I think sad. It, you know, you're not alone in people being scared of nudity. Uh, no, I just think I'm enough. Like I'm okay with if you don't like my nudity, the person who's writing it into the movie, then we we have an impasse. But if it calls for me to be naked, and uh, I'm wearing a, a you know, like a ski sock over, over my junk twisty bits. Yeah. That's what I'll do. And I remember them trying, uh, you know, Judd and Amy were so great about like, everybody clear the room. We're going to have one camera op, <laughs> but I don't care. So like literally for that scene, it started with like a camera operator, a focus puller and a boom guy. Yeah. By the end of the scene, they had catering set up in there. Everybody was in there, <laughs> yeah. but it, it's, I think the more, from my perspective, the more comfortable you can be with it, the more you lose yourself in the thing. Yeah, I was really shocked too. When I, this is why I was so anxious. I, you know, 
I don't leave my house for anything, but I wanted to come to Miami and be with you because... And I'm so grateful for that. Well, Thank the you same, so much. I'm honored that you would come here, but, you know, I, I was really kind of shocked how comfortable you were, too, hosting the ESPYs back in, like, 2005 or scared 6. Scared as fuck. Uh, scared as fuck, right? Oh, my God. And what about SNL, Saturday Night Live? Uh, that, was, that was much more fun because, like, the, the difference between the two, SNL, everyone wants to do a good show, and they also hedge their bets. Like, yeah. they... The host does what they can do, but the, the cast is the show, and the skits are the show, and their performance is the show, and the audience and the crowd wants to be entertained. Yeah. The ESPYs is a tough room, especially for a non-athlete and like a non-entertainment guy. Yeah. I'm like, not an athlete and not an actor. And, and you had I'm, to do a monologue. And I'm up there running bits on like the athletes. Yeah. So they're the butt of the joke. But they came like dressed to the nines. They rolled up in their ride. Like they got they got their entourage with them. And I'm making fun of them. That's a tough fucking room, man. People should go watch that on YouTube because you could have tanked so badly, dude. It's a tough room. Oh my god. I mean, I would I wouldn't attempt anything like that. But I was able to get a little bit more of a grasp on it because I said, okay, what's the story? I can't just go out there and sling jokes. So the first thing we have to address is I know what you guys are thinking. Why the fuck am I here? Right. And I did a whole bit on myself. Right. And then parlayed it into like, well, maybe football's fake. Maybe basketball's fake. And it was an easy out starting at the top with the executive branch of both places and then hitting on some of the athletes. Like it was, it was more thought out. There was a story behind the why am I here. How do you handle... This is a tough one. I know you love the WWE and you love Vince and everything. But now Vince has gotten himself into hot water. What the fuck? Like, I have a couple of friends who have gotten into hot water, let's call it. And it's so goddamn confusing. Because you love the guy. And at the same time, also... You don't love what he's being accused of, obviously. What is? What do you do? I mean, how do you handle those situations? I, I mean, well, I don't know how to handle them. Well, so how do you handle yours? Well, it's interesting. There are some people I no longer want to associate with. Because if what, you know, and it's almost not fair because I, it's not like they've been on trial but there's been accusations that are disturbing. So I go, can I be personal friends with this person? And some people I can because there's lines in my mind where things are drawn. But some people I can't because I just, it, it's too big a mountain to climb. In other words, if any of this is true, I can't know you. You know, I loved you. I love what you did for me. I love our friendship. But now that I know this about you, there's no turning back. I, I, I have to do what I morally think is right. And unfortunately, it's not to associate. But you, this is a guy who's been so good to you. Sure. And so great in your career. I imagine it's a mind fuck. And then when you get asked about it, it's like it's too complicated to even talk about. So um, I don't I don't think it's complicated to talk about. I think it's complicated to listen to. Mm. And that's kind of why I, I don't necessarily put a lot of time and equity into it. Yeah. Um, again, I think you, you know, we, there, there's still a long ways to go. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I can say this, I'm, uh, 
a big advocate of love and friendship and honesty and communication. But in the same breath, I'm also a big advocate of accountability. Yeah, me too. Um, I think you explained it well of if someone's behavior lies so far outside your value system that the balance shifts of like, man, I, I can't operate in a world where this works. Yeah. That's, that's the end result of being accountable. But there's also, uh, so, um, right now what I'm going to do is love the person I love, be their friend. And by that, it means like, Hey, I, I love you. Uh, you, you got a hill to climb and you know, there's, um, the saying of like, Hey, you, you, you don't know who you are or you don't know who your friends are until the shit hits the fan or your back's against the wall. That, yeah. that doesn't make any of what's going on any easier to swallow. Right. But just telling somebody that like, Hey, I love you, man, this is going to be a hill to climb. Uh, we're going to see what happens. And, and that's that. I think it's, 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 it sounds so cliche, but it has to be one day at a time. But at the same token, it, I've openly said is I, I, I love the guy. I got a great relationship with the guy. So yeah. that's, you know, that's that. No, I don't think that's cliche at all. That's kind of been my approach. One thing I do, and I say this to my wife all the time, I said, I'm going to pick up the phone and call the guy. I don't want to sit there and hide and say, you know, I don't want to be the kind of friend who then says, well, I'm never going to address this again. Yeah. I think my construct of, trying to operate with honesty and communication um i think those are strong leads to handling any problem or or any achievement but uh uh, the whole thing is super super unfortunate yeah that's that's really the thing that sucks because not only does it deal with an individual i love it deals with an entity that i love yeah and uh, it's one that I speak highly of, and you mm-hmm. want you want to make sure everyone. I want everyone to have the experience I had. I want if you're a, a employee at Disneyland, you want everybody to go to Disney and think it's the greatest place on earth. And when someone doesn't, or when you find out that there may or may not have been things going on there that, you know, this place I was speaking so great about, well, in some aspects needed a lot of work. Those, that's more than just how do I feel about this person. You know, now I shift to okay am i doing all i can to to make it better you know from the advice of like work as hard as you can promote as hard as you can is is there anything i can do so not only do i tell my friend i love them i also switch to the entity and say how can i help you know man you sound i mean wow i mean that sounds great i mean i was even thinking you know now you're married yes and you said, I've learned how to love my wife. Yes. You know, that's big for a guy to say, because not all guys, they th- might think they love their wife, but sometimes they don't. You know, like they don't really even know what love is. How'd you learn how to love a woman? Um, by understanding first that, like, I'm, I'm okay to love me and love who I am, yeah. which is the comfortability in the nude scenes, uh, all the flaws that I have, um, things not to be full of shit. If I want to work on something to be better, work on it. Like, How do you work on learning? Because most guys do not work on this, and um, and we don't realize it. We think we know how to love a woman. Well, for me, um, I look at my past, and instead of saying, this person treated me poorly, this person treated me poorly, I say, okay, what mistakes did I make? Is there a repeating pattern on things I can do better? Where did I improve? Where do I still lack? And what was the biggest thing I was missing for me? I'm just, I'm just stubborn, man. And it's because I was 
like riding that lightning bolt of I'm just worried about the next 24 hours in front of me and you you got to just get out of my way and if we're going to be in just kind of hold on cuz it's going to be a great ride and now I understand that we're a team right. and and everything if I say we're a team and I lead with that foot forward I have to to treat us as a team and if I don't I'm just full of shit so yeah. it's it's also um more honest communication. I, I, this this happened with everyone in my life, but starting with my wife, uh, we we got to know who we are like really early. We got to know our values really early. Uh, it's a a lot of the cases and why you see people of the same faith get together because they already know the rule book. Yeah, you know. But um, we were we were brave enough to to take these leaps really early and come up with like, well, what are the rules of our relationship, and what are our values? What do we value? And I think when you like shit, man. Think of any sport. When you know the rules, you know what a penalty is. Yeah. And and when you make your decisions, you can say, okay, am I operating under the construct of the team? I'm not. This is a selfish decision. It's not to say it's wrong. It's not to say you can't make it, but you should let the teammate know. Like, hey, I'd like to make a selfish decision. How do you feel about that? Like, what would be what would be a selfish decision? Um, if I want to take a job that is maybe in an area that my wife doesn't want to go. Yeah. It's because we got to live there. Right. And we travel everywhere together. Our One of our promises is to try to spend as many nights with each other as we can. Yeah. My, I, you know, I, I subscribe to that. Um, uh, the separate, you know, people say um, the separation makes the heart grow fond. Yeah. No. I, it, so yeah. I'm a firm believer in that. And that's, yeah. you know, just me reflecting on my past. And like, I want to, what's, what's more, what's most important for us is to be together. And to share time together, even if we get 25 minutes a day. Today's a busy day, but I'm going to sleep with her at night. So that's a yeah, good. But if she says to you, John, I know you want to be the peacemaker, but I'm not going to, you know, podunk to uh, for seven months out of yep. the year. You would turn it down? No, that's the cool thing is a conversation like that isn't built on absolutes. Okay. We would then like, where is the give and take? So, okay, um, there are five days in a work week. How can we see each other? If I'm filming in India and you're in um, California, is there, can we meet in London on the weekends? Right. Like, is that enough? Like, it, and, and if I think from, from what, you know, we've been together five years now and from all those conversations that we had, it's never just I'm doing this or you can't do this. It's, I'd like to do this. I don't know about this. Well, is there something that can make you feel more confident? Or this is why I don't know about it. Wow, you, you did just talk me out of that. I got ambitious about the wrong things, and that's operating outside my values. Were you hesitant to get into another, like, real romantic relationship? Because, wasn't, uh, wasn't looking, but damn, man, like, it just found me. Where'd you, know, you meet her? At a bar, watching the Super Bowl. I shouldn't have been there, and she shouldn't have been there. Why shouldn't you have been there? Uh, I wanted to watch the Patriots in my own apartment in Vancouver. Cause you I love the Patriots. Because at the time I did, and yeah. damn it, my fandom, I wasn't going to jinx their Super Bowl win, because that really matters. Right. But a friend of mine was like, dude, I got a quiet place for us. Come out, food, drink, no problem. So we watched the game, and then the table sitting right across from us, this group of five people walked in, a couple guys, a couple girls, and man, I stopped watching the game. I didn't even know it was over. What's your move? Do you go I up? didn't have one. I was such a dick. I was so bad. Like, here I am. <laughs> Hell, this was, you know, half a decade. I'm 40. Right. And I'm too scared to approach this girl. 
And uh, you, I mean, but you've got all this. Fame. People love you. They know. I mean, you're really well known. Yeah, but damn, I was nervous, dude. And, she and didn't. You still get nervous, huh? I get nervous all the time. I'm I'm nervous waiting in the hallway to come in and talk to you. You got an aura about you, bro. And then, really, uh, and waiting out the I mean, way they make, the way they make <laughs> you wait and everything. There's there's yeah. a whole build of anticipation for when you come in here. Well, so I, I definitely still get nervous. Well, but 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 you, so you see this beautiful woman sitting yes. there. She's with her friends. Yep. And the, the intimidating thing is, you have to go over and say, "Hey, how you doing?" Or so I think there's a lot of like I was. I was going to film a movie there for three months and then leave. So I'm, I'm like, man, she looks beautiful, but you, you talk yourself out anything, but it's Wednesday or, but it's too late or I'm only going to be here for so long. So I get up to leave and one of her friends comes over and is like, can I get a picture? And finally I got the nuts to be like, only if I can get that girl's number. That's the, that's the beauty of fame. Let's, let's be honest. That's that, what never would have happened. That's a, and she went over and said, Hey, John Cena wants to, uh, meet you or something uh so i got a picture with her mm. and then she brought my wife to be over we got we have our first fan photo which we hang proudly in 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 a where we hang our hats it's awesome we can see our like when you asked her out uh i asked her for her number yeah and she gave me her number and i didn't wait like the two days i left the restaurant and on my walk home i was like man it was so good nice you. to meet you you're beautiful i'd like to get to know you more if you have any free time coming up i'll make time for you She's like, you want to go out this weekend? I said, sure. You know what that is? That's a man who has no time for games. I, I feel the same way. You meet someone you're really into, fuck all that bullshit about, oh, you're not supposed to act too interested and all that crap. Yeah, I, the, the cat and mouse stuff, the chase is fun. Yeah. But if, if you're too occupied with the chase, once you get, there's just going to be another chase. Were you worried with your the amount of fame you now have and, and, all the, and everything just so skyrocketing? Was it like, oh, shit. How can I really make a commitment to one person now? I mean, I've no, got too many options. All. Not at all. And uh, here's uh, here's a regret that I have. Um, regardless of situations of intimacy that I have, yeah. I usually try to keep those intimate. And the last time we spoke, I certainly went outside my value system because I wanted to make a good impression on you. Yeah. And the conversation was great. It man. was great. So thank you so much for that. I was going to ask you about that because... The last time we talked, yes. you're talking about, you know, I bang this one, I bang that one, blah, blah, blah. We were pretty open about sex. Yes. Now you can't do that, right? Um, so I can openly talk about any experience I've had with my wife. Right. Which makes that cool to talk about any experience I've had with people that we love. Right. Like nothing's off the table because all this stuff happened before we met. Right. Uh, I think a lot of difficulty might come if... I lived it outside. I made some poor choices under the construct of our relationship. Right. But I really do look back on the the conversations we had, regardless of how fun those episodes were. To me, they were intimate, and that the person I'm sharing or people I was sharing them with, they were also intimate. Yeah. And they didn't go out and do anything that I did, and I did just like you said, man. I said these words, and I did, I thought it was all fun and good, and we, we made a lot of people laugh and reached a lot of viewers. But I, I also operated outside my value system because you're a different guy now. But and, that's cool, uh, and that's cool. That's that, you know, that's what I say to people in my audience. I said I never want to be afraid to tell my audience that I've changed. Sure. I'm a different guy now. Man, if you're if you're not growing, you're dying. Yeah, and if and by the way, and if you don't like who I've become, I'm sorry. You know, it's just the way it is. Yeah. You know, there's not much I can do about it now because I'm more comfortable in my skin. So it's it's that um epiphany of like I being more comfortable in your skin. Yeah. Um man, so uh, she had just come off a situation where 
she was kind of fed up with everything. And being I, fed up with the guy she was seeing. Just being fed up with failing relationships. Yeah. You know, she's got a good career for herself. She's well-educated. She's smart. She's sharp. So what does she do? She's got some... Uh, she's She was in uh, product management for a hardware security company and then switched to Microsoft for a short bit. And then we were like, hey... The most important thing is for us to be together. So let's let's concentrate on that first. So now we just operate as a team. How many years did you know her before you uh, popped a big question? One year. And I would have done it in three months. Except it would have been weird, right? Like Might have been a little weird. Y- yeah. Yes. And she knew right away, too. They- I, I don't want to speak for her, but she didn't say no when I asked. And, and uh, how'd you do it? I'm curious. So I had this whole plan. Uh, I was filming some of the end of the Suicide Squad in Panama. And then I was going to meet her in San Diego. And while I was in Panama, I'm calling these restaurants in San Diego to try to get Valentine's Day reservations. It's impossible. Impossible. And finally, one restaurant with an ocean view accommodates. And I'm like, I got something big planned. I just want to, you know, we've got the ocean and the sunset. And I want to make sure there's flowers there. And it's going to be perfect. And... I had to take the ring with me from Tampa to Panama, and that was very uneasy about that. And we had to stay a few days to shoot some extra stuff. And I'm like, guys, this is... Uh, uneasy because you, you're afraid to lose the ring? Afraid I'd lose the ring. Yeah. Yeah. And I know like it, it's insured, and it's only a thing, and if someone takes it, it betters their life, and you get stu- you get paid back. But it, I also How many need- carrots are we looking at in this diamond ring? It was something I needed. <laughs> I can't do the... Uh, the, the proposal without without the ring yeah um so we got bumped a few days and i had to talk to the assistant directors and like hey is there any way i can kind of go home early and they're like why and i pulled the ring out of my pocket i'm like because i'm trying to get married and they're like okay great they were awesome they did backflips to get me out of there early so i land the day before valentine's day and my wife is there and we're kind of just in the living room in the beginning of the day and goddamn, did we have the most like open and vulnerable conversation? I'm like, you want to just have a cup of coffee outside? And the, it was beautiful. And I had the ring in my pocket because I was afraid I'd lose it in my bag by chance. I'm like, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask right now. I'm gonna ask her right now. So I blew all the special plans, and I just said, hey, this is. There's no better moment because there wasn't. It was so beautiful, still, and we were both so. I get that open and it just happened right there no special pomp and circumstance just that hey i would love to spend the rest of my life with you yeah i was the same way i got this ring and then i said i had this whole thing planned i went i can't wait i I, the whole day early i just said i I gotta ask i mean uh that's it yes when you feel it you feel it yeah yeah wow well hey look uh you're in a whole beautiful space i mean the (laughs) fact that um you know peaks and valleys man it goes up it goes down you know the drill just i i try to operate every day thankful for for what i got you guys don't want kids no no i don't think so and uh again so again easy for me to talk about sometimes tough for people to listen to but you said it yourself like hey i've never or i've i rarely run into people your age so eager to learn i'm still so fucking curious about life man yeah and like i'm like even when my body quits this and this are still going really fast your brain and your heart yeah man and so i'm still i still want to live out there and right now i also don't want to do a disservice to another person in the team my right. wife and i have real good balance and there are sometimes we get long days but we catch up and we, we just have enough time to like make it beautiful yeah and i think another member of that team 
somebody's going to get something's going to get shorted along the way and and you know f- human beings have been doing this for generations and people figure it out but i finally have love in my life i finally have fulfillment in my life i'm fueled by curiosity i'm so grateful i get moments to myself when i need it to like rehash and, and yeah. reset and and i have I, honestly I, my, my wife is is the best so we, we've we've openly talked about it but also like not close the door on the conversation it's like hey if your mind changes I don't have to say we talked about this 10 years ago. We can always open the conversation again. So um, right now it's no. And, and, and I think that's the way it'll be. Yeah. And I, and I got news for you. The fact that you're aware of that curiosity that you have, that curiosity takes time. I mean, if you're going to pursue a lot of things that you're interested in. You're, yes. You know, that, that whole one of these days will become an overnight sensation sort of thing. Yeah, right. Because you would have to, if you had a kid, you would have to say, hey, I have to put all that aside and I'm not willing to do that right now. Th- that is your curiosity. Yep. You get to curb everything to now nurture this new life, which is which is wonderful. And every parent you talk to, it's wonderful. But every parent I also talk to, they'll tell you it changes your life and not in a negative context. It's just like, Hey, I was going in this direction and now this takes all my time. And maybe you relate to your mother who sacrificed a lot. That man, you are, I I feel like I owe you an hourly fee. Well, how much? (laughs) Can you you give me a discount? (laughs) Did you, did you, um, so you had, if I hear this right, you had to audition for Ricky Stanicki. Um, no, I think, I think, I wanted to, Peter wanted to meet with me. Right. And I think it's making movies is long and arduous. So you, you try to want to surround yourself with the best people and you try to want to surround yourself with people who are happy to go to work every day. Yeah. And I think Peter just wanted to make sure I, I fit that criteria. Yeah. Listen, the movie hangs on you and you did a beautiful job. I thought I was also impressed with your Owen Wilson impression. I was surprised <laughs> you did impressions. I mean, it sounded like the dude. So, uh, you want to talk about being comfortable in your own skin. I don't do impressions. I yeah. So I don't do impressions. I don't sing. Uh, so we did the whole Atlantic City yeah, performance did a lot bit. Of singing. We did the impressions bit, and it was just like, man, this can suck. But I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna pull up. I'm gonna go all in and trust that Peter's gonna make it somehow. Okay. I love that your job in the movie is that um, you have a uh, show where you sing song parodies, wall to wall jizz jams, jizz jams, yep. just jizz jams. And the other really thought, the funny thought was the uh, a concept of an air dick, uh, <laughs> like air guitar. Guys Man. who talk with their hands so much look like they're sucking dick. It's, and it's a great moment in the film. I just fucking, we laughed our asses off. Thanks, man. Yeah, Thank really you. beautiful, man. I, I, you. you know, they don't make a lot. This is like a, a socially unacceptable um, movie. You know, there's, they, they're not making too many of them. I anymore. think it's, I just think it's bold. It's yeah. R. It doesn't try to hide that it's R. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's, it's got a great cast. And yeah. I think it, it, it takes somebody who's so broken and gives him a chance to be an imaginary friend. And I think that's where you can approach the, um, the sensitive material. I love that you get up there and you're singing songs about jerking off, about <laughs> masturbation. I just, I love that stuff. I that, do, I that's where a, like the goofy, you know, R rated stuff that when you say like, Oh, they don't make them like that anymore. Yes. Uh, a portion of the movie dedicated to jack off songs. There's a uh, jizz jam you do to a uh, karma chameleon. Yes. As boy George, you're dressed as boy George yes. singing about, you know, jizzing and jacking yeah. off. And yeah. uh, I mean, it's just, it's beautiful. <laughs> it's beautiful. I'm, well, thanks, man. I'm proud of you. Thank you so much. Uh, and, and Suicide Squad and Peacemaker, man, I just think it's tops. It's really great work. And uh, thank you so much. 
and and you're a real inspiration. I mean, I really I love that you, you you tackled Mandarin. I love that you tackled piano at forty. I'm trying to tackle love here at here at almost forty seven. Yeah, <laughs> it's pretty great. But, and coming from you, that uh, that means a lot. Thank no, you. it really does, man. Thank I mean, you so much. Wow, I, I, you know, and especially this whole relationship with your dad and your mom and stuff. And yeah. every day, just trying to work on it. Yeah. And uh, man, I can't thank you enough for for coming here today. I know what what a challenge that was for you, and I'm very grateful. Time is our most valuable asset, and thank you for your today. No, no, I really, uh, you know, it's funny when they said you wanted to come on, and you're in, and that you live in Tampa, and you were going to be willing to drive to Miami. I said, I better, I better make this effort and get it here. Well, one, you're such a good conversationalist. I, I like talking to people, and two, I, I wanted to personally tell you about some of the moments from our last conversation, and that's kind of fucked up over Zoom. You know, yeah, yeah, it is fucked up over Zoom. But just for me, from my perspective, I like just. Uh, now I know that I got that stuff off my chest to you, and I, f- I feel better about it. Look, you just talked about a few gal- gals you banged, and uh, absolutely. You know, that's it. You know. Absolutely. Do these actors ever look down on you on set? I meant to ask you that because you're from the WWE, and they're like, they've studied somewhere, or, or, or do you ever catch a vibe? Uh, I guess I'm not looking for the vibe. Yeah. Again, if, if there's a um, you know, uh, Juilliard-trained actor, that's someone I can learn from. Yeah, but do you ever get intimidated working with the Juilliard? Yeah, I'm talking about the Juilliard actor. You're saying, do you ever project and go, I know what they're thinking. They're thinking I can't do this shit. No, because I I try to show up early. I try to be prepared and I try to be coachable. So if they're like, yo, you're fucking it up. Try this. I'll try it. Have they ever said to you, you're fucking it up? I not that's not that sternly. Right. Uh Peter Fairley's feedback's great. No, it's not just just try it like this. It's not good. It's not working. It's not working. Like yeah. I like that. I like a I know what you're trying. This is what I'm looking for. Try it like this. Right. And that can be the spark that lights the comedy dynamite, you know? So I'm I'm also not like I don't fucking care about uh, like um if if you look down on me, all I'm going to try to do is look at myself and be like, am I operating the best I can? Okay. And by the way, thank you for the shout out in Peacemaker when you did the Baba Booey and the, uh, I, love, I love that. <laughs> thank that you very good. much. Yeah. And when are you retiring from wrestling? When is it going to be? You, I mean, where you officially are out because you're still in. I am still in and, um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm turning 47 in April and man, I. Can you make it to 50? I, I think I can make it to 50. I don't think I can make it past 50. And and that doesn't mean like show up for one show every year for the next ten years. I think at at fifty, if if we don't plan something, I just have to tweet like I'm out. Hashtag see ya. Yeah. So we'll we'll see. That's again, that's beyond my control. Would I like to do something for the audience? Would I would I like to to go out on my terms? Everyone writes wants to write their last chapter, yeah. but that's beyond my control. There's a there's a whole lot of stuff going on, and they, they have so many great stars now. They're doing gangbuster numbers. Yeah. It's it's also okay for them to be like, you gave us a good run, kid. We don't need you. And yeah. then I'll tweet, I'm out. Hashtag see you. It's weird, right? <laughs> at that point in your life where you've been talking but that's about... O- that's okay. That's how it happens. That's how it happens. And instead of being like, what the fuck do you mean? Man, I've had two decades with them. Can you cry on command on a film? If I said to you, uh, listen, you, you need to cry in this scene. I can, I can, but I, I need some time to find a reason to. What do you, what is your go-to, your dad? No, it's a lot of stuff. It's, it's a lot of stuff. Like, man, movies, commercials move me emotionally. So often I'll, I'll lean on entertainment. Um, but also I'll look within my life. And you can cry. About stuff that I'm also, uh, I, a lot of tears are gratitude. 
so like I well up with how fortunate I am and uh you know how lucky I am to have have love and all the things that I've had because there's a I know that it's a unique situation and I know a lot of people don't get that do you dream about maybe getting one of these really serious films where like you could be nominated for an Academy Award are you starting to think like that like hey let me let me sink my child I can I can pull this thing off my whole life I have operated under the construct of I'm not the dealer I'm the card player so I just play the hand that's in front of me man because I think you're in a real nice lane right now if I may say like almost like so but like speculation leads to speculation is built off of great risk right also great reward control the things that are in front of you I, one last question I'll let you out of here because you've been here too you know I'm holding you forever coyote versus Acme yes a lot of fans couldn't wait to see this movie you were in the movie coyote versus Acme was uh Wiley Coyote suing Acme, Acme Corporation be, and, and he and rightly he should sue Acme because he never was able to kill anything with any of the products that they used yep. and that was the premise of the movie I've heard from people it was a good movie uh, well, you know, when you look at the the scoring, that, that would indicate correctly. Can you quickly comment on why they killed this movie and no one has ever seen it? Because uh, it's theirs. That's that's as quick as you can get. But does it irk you that you did this work in the movie? Howard, what's within my control? Am I going to change it? No, it's their. They need the financial incentive, so they got to they got to shelf a movie. It just so happened to be ours. I, I really am sympathetically. I feel for like Dave Green, the director, all the visual effects people that worked on it. I mean, the, the thing is locked and ready to go, and it got it got it got a really good buzz, and it gave every indication that it it possibly could move the needle. But I also understand that it's a business. I've had my match cut. I've had you know plans change. It's beyond my control. Yeah, but that business, I don't even get it. In other words, they, they sunk whatever they sunk into. It's $90 million or something. Yeah. And then they go, well, if we don't release it, it's like the movie, the producers. If we don't release it, we get a tax break. Yeah. And they might need that break for something Jeez. bigger. So, But you've seen the movie. I haven't seen the movie. Yet. You haven't seen it? No, I haven't seen it. You were not even allowed to see it. I wanted to see it when it was done, sadly enough. And it now that it's done, done, I, I might get a chance to see it. I just feel for all the people that were involved. Yeah, sure. But I also, I understand. We give our services to uh, people who, it's their property. And they can do what they want with their property. And if they feel that the best for business, because I'm, I'm in the Warner Discovery family, man. They make Peacemaker. Right. So if they say, hey, we need to shift this chess piece to allow these chess pieces, I get it. It's none of your business. It's, it's you nothing. can't control it's, it. Yes, it is my business, but I can't control it. Listen to me. John Cena is on his way to a very big movie role. I didn't, I'll be the first to announce it. This is an exclusive. He's going to be playing Lincoln. That's right. Lincoln. That's right. Well, that's Lincoln. a real surprise. Yes. Be John Cena is Lincoln. Yeah. That's it. Well, anyway, Man. I love you. And um, Can uh, I say there is bad news. This has been a fascinating... You want Ben Franklin instead? You yeah, yeah. Go? John Cena is Ben Franklin. I, that's, I'll, I'll do like, that. <laughs> uh, yes, Robin. Go ahead. Robin, big uh, wrestling This fan. has been a revealing, very revealing conversation and such a joy to listen to. Uh, you, the Robin. first surprise was that you're you're 47. You do, I'll be 47 you could, April you could, 23rd. You could do this for another 10 years. Uh, I don't think this is the end. Your you words, your great. words. I hope. She yeah, likes it's the way you amazing. Look. And Just, uh, how you, you feel afterwards is tough. Maybe <laughs> that's true. I don't know yeah, that. Yeah, right. But, yeah, right. but you know these so much wisdom 
you know, like you say that you get older, you get wiser. I don't necessarily believe that about everybody. I think no, a lot of people true. get older and they're just old. And yeah, they that, that happened to me, wisdom. unfortunately. But uh, I cannot. <laughs> not true. Not true. But, very well. But thank you. Thank you was, very much for saying that. I, I learned a lot today. Thank you. Thank you. Um, bad news. I've, it's just been announced that Sirius needed a write-off, and they are not airing this interview. <laughs> it will not be released anywhere. So <laughs> the things I can control, I got to explain to you uh, something I really wanted to do, and I got to thank you for your time. We got to spend this time in person. I love it. And go see, or, you know, go to Amazon and see Ricky Stanicki starring John Cena. John MCs an X-rated dog show, plays an accordion <laughs> as the dogs bang in missionary style. Yes. You'll never see that in another film. This is the only film that does Maybe that. Maybe we'll start a trend. Uh, see John occasionally at the WWE, yep. but Amazon Prime Video, March 7th, Ricky Stanicki, and it's a lot of laughs. It's a lot of fun. It's really great. Uh, great seeing you again. It's great been a seeing long time. you, too. Thanks for making the effort and coming here. Man, well worth it. Thank right. you so much. You as well. And we'll uh, see you later. Bye.